0: So, I've been playing uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla recently. hmm mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, I was a big fan of Odyssey. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people said that it was bloated, and I agreed with that, but it was really fun exploring that world. And there was a, a lot of controversy, you know, around Valhalla coming out because there was a designer behind it who said that, you know, that called out Odyssey for being bloated and that they because their world was smaller. Someone at the studio was like this yeah. game sucked. Yeah, well they didn't say the game sucked. They just said it was no. it was bloated and what was nice about Valhalla was because it was a smaller game, they were able to like finally craft all of the areas of it. So there wasn't that's, like That's that's, a, that's my association with Assassin's Creed is that they finally craft those games. Yeah, well I mean that's why I was really excited actually about mm. this one because they there is a lot of bloat, and you know, uh, credit where credits due. Assassin's Creed has a lot of is like used in a lot of schools as like a teaching tool for like historical accuracy because Much they are like so Kenneth accurate. Much like Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet. Much like Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet. But actually, I was playing Valhalla in preparation for covering Hamlet because of the Danes. I'm I'm more an antique Roman than a Dane. I see. Well, I was yeah. running around this area, and <laughs> it was just this giant. It was this giant snowfield where uh-huh. there was nothing. There was just. There was one wild like dog that ran by, and then just nothing, for miles, just nothing. I went into the bird's eye view to like look down and see everything, and I realized uh, I had been fooled again by Assassin's Creed. They said they yeah, had like there was something that. exciting around every corner, and there wasn't. And uh, well, there were I, no corners there. Well, so that's your first problem. Well, I, I turned off the game, okay. um, and stopped playing because uh-huh. uh, a few times I've been around that track. So it's not just going to happen like that because I ain't no Valhalla back girl. Yeah. Welcome to the Worst of All Possible Worlds, the first and only podcast to acknowledge the existence of Scandinavia. I'm the Worst of All Possible Brians. And I'm the Worst of All Possible AJs. Uh, and if you don't hear a third voice on today's podcast, it's because Josh is out sick. Uh, he got the novel coronavirus. Yeah, and- SARS coronavirus People are talking about it more and more because guess what guys we're in another wave. That's very true so But he watch is, out for that. Yeah, but he is doing okay. He's he's doing yeah, uh, much better. Fun. He has Paxlovid. He's doing okay. He's got antivirals and he's working his way through it, uh, but he didn't feel up to recording today. So uh, Brian and I decided to throw together Uh, This episode for you all, mostly because Josh said, and I quote, I don't want to cover that fucking movie because Um, we are here to talk about (laughs) Kenneth Branagh's um, master work masterpiece. We've we've talked about this for a while. We did an episode on on Michael Almirada's Hamlet. Which Hamlet is a two thousand a, a a not good movie that had good ambitions. Yeah, and but Brian, this solves all your problems with Hamlet two thousand. Now we're going to talk about a a terrible movie with no ambitions whatsoever. No, but Brian, Brian, I went back and re-listened to the episode, and there was a lot of stuff about the religion aspect and how you can't really th- that plot element of Hamlet doesn't really play in the modern day because it is such a secular sure. version. And this one, hey, uh-huh. there's. There's crucifixes everywhere, man. There's a confessional booth. We got No, there's not. There's like two crucifixes. Yeah, but he like hit him... There's crucifixes in a couple No, no, of he places. hit them in the background. Like like the Mickey Mouse ears at Disneyland. They're just they're everywhere. You no, just got to look really hard. No, everybody is always like, "Oh, I've There's a secretly there's a crucifix in the every fucking movie is a crucifix because it's just two things meeting at a right angle." Yeah. Do you know what else does that? Buildings. Math. All the time. It's just how you make things. Sorry, maths for opportunities. It's British like listeners. it's like that in triangles. You're just going to see them all over the place yeah. because you see triangles especially it, if you're horny. Like the rhetorical you as in as in most to all the royal you. See this? Like when when they get horny, they just see triangles. Yes. That's why the PlayStation is the horniest console. AJ, hmm. I don't know how to tell you hmm. this, but every console's controller has a triangle on it. I mean the a the letter a <laughs> no, no, no but the lines moved up has a oh, triangle Oh yeah, has a little one you're right that it does have that little one Yeah yeah they, they all have the triangle But but the Sony PlayStation is the most explicit like it is the most which has this Hamlet I think is the most horny Hamlet that we'll probably ever get I I don't know if it's the most horny it's, Hamlet cuz he's not it's not a Hamlet where everyone where he's everyone's fucking their dad or whatever because that's certainly going on. I mean, that's true. Ingmar Bergman did the whole thing with with his Hamlet which for some baffling reason he didn't film with Peter Stormare, mm. uh, where Gertrude and Claudius are just fucking on stage. Oh, where all of their courtiers are just clapping in rhythmic unison, like an eyes wide they, shut thing, but this was they like They do that at a point in this movie. before eyes wide shut- Yeah, well, yeah, there is something where Hamlet talks about what's basically a shiveree of the, the king and queen of Denmark. Yeah. AJ, I don't know. You, you don't come from hill folk. I don't know if you know what a chivalry is. I do is. like their milk. It's my 30 rock joke for the day. On the wedding night of the happy couple, you go and shoot guns and bang pots and pans outside of their cabin while they're doing it. And then later in the night, uh, all the, I don't know, brothers and male family of both uh-huh. parties, yeah. maybe, go and grab the husband out of bed and throw him into a body of water somewhere uh like if there's a nearby pond yeah, sure watchers of the beverly hillbillies will remember when the chivalry was carried out and they threw him in the cement pond and he died no it's just, oh, it's a, pool. just a pool i'm sorry it, i thought it was a, have you never seen the beverly hillbillies i haven't i thought it was just it's a giant hamlet thing of, of the english language it's, mm-hmm. yeah it's a crowning achievement in art <laughs> something I, I can't believe it until something you get to the last two of of California. <laughs> Yeah. Oh god, you'd really need to watch at least like a little bit of Beverly Hillbillies. Yeah, we can co- we can certainly cover it. Uh, no, I don't mean cover it. I don't mean as a job. I mean for your own personal enrichment, for pleasure, for joy. Well, but but this podcast brings me nothing but pleasure. It's like it's like just oh. one great thing that we watch well, after that's, another. That's a significant difference between you and I. What this podcast does for me is what triangles normally do for me. Sorry, oh, go ahead. You're saying about your grandfather. My my grandpa uh, on his wedding night, he was going to get shiver by his his brothers. I believe my uncle Hosey and my uncle Silas and my uncle Noah mm. and so they didn't have a pond nearby so they filled up the trough oh okay there's a big trough like a big trough I don't know yeah like a cow trough or a horse trough or something I don't know like a water um, coffin enough that you could yeah drop a, a, a whole six human foot one a six-foot-one man into it I guess my, my great-grandfather Abner was not keen on this so oh. he, uh, he drained it. So they, they got to the point where they grabbed him and dragged him out in the middle of the night and they were about to throw him in before they realized it was empty and thankfully did not throw him in. What and, did it have, you know, have Break hurt? his fucking neck. Oh, sure. So Hamlet, of course, has been filmed many times. Yes. The very first Hamlet on screen was likely Sarah Bernhardt in 1900. She was the leading Shakespearean actor of her moment, and this film was actually sound synchronized oh, in 1900. Wow. So you could actually hear her speaking the lines, speaking the speech. I pray you. Wow, that seems really early. I thought most talkies happened. That's in the extremely 20s, early. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No. uh, Well, yeah. 28 is when we started seeing like major distribution for talking pictures, uh, starting with the jazz singer, Mm -hmm. which itself isn't really a talking picture. It's a synchronized sound picture that is mostly silent except for the songs that that Al Jolson sings and a little bit of his ad-libs leading into the songs. Sure. We did have synchronized sound. People were playing with it from the very beginning. Like, the moment we started getting pictures moving, someone was like, I bet if we work really hard, we could synchronize a record to this for a minute or two. (laughs) And so they did. Wow. So, you know, George Melies played Hamlet in his own filmed version of Hamlet that was also a few minutes long. You know, this old era of, like, ten minutes at most. Full-length Hamlets, of course, followed in the Talking Pictures era in the 30s. Obviously, Olivier did his, and that's the one that people talk about the most. But, of course, the one that everyone sees in school is Kenneth Branagh's. You read Hamlet, and then you're like, let's watch some scenes from it. From this incredibly sterile promontory (laughs) yeah i was actually i was gonna say that it is exactly that it is a sterile promontory it's fascinating because he doesn't cut a single word from hamlet that's like one of the big things it's this movie is four hours long uh four four hours three minutes they they take stuff from the folio and then add things back in from the second quarto to have the most complete version dialogue you've ever seen on the silver screen baby and it is uh remarkably dull I think yes. it, the first thing, like right out of the gate, this is one, this is one of the most boring films you'll ever watch. It's a lot of people sitting in a room while a camera circles them, incredibly slowly, and then cuts to like them talking and the other person talking. You can tell he's trying to imitate Doctor Zhivago because he pulls it off perfectly. It is mm. unwatchable. Oh, absolutely. And- <laughs> i had never even thought about that. But yeah, no, it really is. It really is striking how bad most of the actors in this movie are at delivering Shakespearean lines so that they are yeah. intelligible. Yeah. I'm not saying they don't have a faculty for the language or that they don't know even what they're saying necessarily, but they're so familiar with the text that they go too fast. They simply go too fast mm-hmm. for you to track mm-hmm. what's happening. No one is actually a bigger culprit of this than Branagh himself which yeah. would have been caught had he had someone else direct it but he couldn't no nope. he just Brana's just let not go. that guy He's so not. he he saw he was 15 years old when he saw Derek Jacobi in Hamlet mm-hmm. back in the age of Derek Jacobi, and then he ended up being sort of the protege of Jacobi and John Gielgud Pro- Gielgud was the yeah was the pr- principal or chancellor whatever the fuck they have at the the RADA yes where uh, Branna was studying and Brann of course as a young man had or as a child had had emigrated from Northern Ireland yeah to uh, Great Britain, and had changed his accent because of the horrific bigotry he faced at the hands of all these fucking English students. Sure. Yeah, I mean, and a lot of that is, I think, chronicled in Belfast in the movie he just released, which is about his which time Which I hear up in- is actually good, but people also say that this movie is good, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're not gonna get me again. <laughs> I did like All Is True, but that says something more about me than anything else. I also want to say that I don't think... I think Branagh is a perfectly fine filmmaker. I think he... Gets obsessed with camera tricks sometimes. Like if you watch the original Thor, which he directed and they brought him, they brought him on board because they were like, we want to turn this Marvel property into a more Shakespearean bent. And they brought him on specifically because of his experience with Shakespeare and working with sort of more classical text and they weren't going to get Julie Taymor. They sure uh, <laughs> weren't. But that movie is all about him being obsessed with Dutch angles. Like he had oh, heard yeah. that you can turn the camera sideways to like instill a kind of like uneasy feeling in the audience and then he just did that for most of the movie. Like Yeah, it's like he just watched Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas for the first time and he's like, "Oh fuck." Yeah, and I, this, I remember someone, yeah. I forget who described fear and loathing uh, as having more Dutch tilts than a Vermeer exhibit in an earthquake (laughs) in the lead up to like making this movie to making Hamlet he did a lot of interviews you know with people about how he was going to tackle it and like what what he was really focused on and he said he really wanted to like capture the thriller elements of Hamlet to make it into a A a scary film, which is sort of what Olivier already did. Right. He Mm -hmm. made it kind of gritty and narrow. But thrillers by necessity have to be short in order to maintain the tension, because Hamlet, as constructed in this movie, has so like for every like big thriller scene, there's like three scenes of just kind of hanging out and doing like yeah. really outdated bits that don't make any sense anymore. I mean, why would you include the Ronaldo scene and then have Polonius be as cunning as he is? Like that whole scene is about <laughs> Polonius being just a com- fucking clueless moron, but anyway, yeah, very naive. But they wanted th- they wanted Polonius's naivety to be real. They wanted real intrigue built into that. Yeah. Because again, he just wants this to be Doctor Zhivago. Yeah. So, Brana then played Hamlet, I think with his own company. Brana's I mean, he's a he's a go-getter. Yeah, he's the guy. He gets things done. He meets people and says, hey, I'm going to work with you. Right. Yeah. When he was a teenager uh, w- or when he was studying at RADA, he's he wrote a letter to Derek Jacobi saying, I want you to see me play Hamlet. Yeah, right. He he performed a speech from Hamlet while at the school for the Queen of England herself. Oh, shit. Um, he played Hamlet in his own company in the 80s, then went on to the RSC directed by Adrian Noble. Uh, which I believe that had Jacoby as Claudius in it. He oh, then well. did a radio drama of Hamlet for uh, BBC Radio with Jacoby with Gilgood. Yeah. <laughs> so he he very quickly became th- the boy, the 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 handsomest boy, and I think he's kind of resisted the arc that a lot of the people who came before him took. He yes. didn't become the artistic director of an institutional theater. Mm. He did not become the principal or chancellor or whatever of one of the major schools. He's still out there being a Hollywood filmmaker doing Agatha Christie adaptations now. with um, enough champagne, I've heard, to fill the Nile. And with enough, enough champagne, champagne to fill, to to fill the, the Nile. Nile. <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> that's, is that your Gerard <laughs> Depardieu? <laughs> no, that's that's... Gal got <laughs> No, I know. Um, I've been waiting for her for a long time. Good thing it wasn't his Gerard Depardieu. That one's just for uh, one of our listeners, Andrew Acevedo. Brana then makes Henry V into a movie, mm-hmm. and people who like Henry V like that movie. Yeah. Was it also uncut? Did he did you do the whole thing? The whole text. I, I mean, it's it's not notable if you do the full text of anything uncut unless it's Hamlet. Yeah. Uh, So I don't really know. Uh, I know in that one he didn't have any facial hair, which is a huge mistake for that man because he (laughs) does not have lips. And he knows he doesn't have lips. I've seen him comment on it on Graham Norton. Oh, wow. He knows he doesn't have lips. And the Hamlet facial hair is probably the best he's ever done for himself. Yeah. But Henry V, he's totally clean shaven because... Yeah, I guess he's described as clean-shaven. He's shaven. got kind of an Ian Mcgregor yeah. vibe when he has God, the full beard. I just can't stand Henry V. Oh, really? Not just as a movie, but as a play. Interesting. I mean, first, so I hadn't, I hadn't read or seen the Henry IVs when I first got to Henry V in my curriculum sure, sure sure um and henry v spends a third of its time mourning the death of a character that i had never met before oh sure <laughs> was in three other plays but not that one yeah you spend all this time in the play with these guys wandering around just being like "Too bad falstaff's dead <laughs> like okay you have a whole scene in french you're just stuck with henry being like the good king or whatever it's it's Blindly patriotic. I don't know why this play appeals to anyone outside of England who doesn't look like a baked ham. And, like, the end... With the French lady where he's like, we will make our own language. It's like, please, Jesus Christ, what the fuck is happening Uh, here? Well, Adam Sandler would later adapt that into Spanglish, but it was uh, Frenchlish. And that movie is told entirely through lingering close-ups of Kenneth Branagh's lipless face. As he just trots his way through these fucking monologues with huge pauses that we can see. Yeah. Well, because... Uh, well, no, but that's a thing. off in his brain. That, I, okay, so Kenneth Branagh, I think, ultimately, does not understand the plays he adapts on, like, a fundamental level. No, no, I, I disagree, because I think he is doing the, the institutional thing with every single one. I think he is not taking any risk except when he did Love's Labor's Lost when he made it into a musical, which is not a very bold risk. No, uh, and he cut every speech that didn't belong to his character. Sure, absolutely, but... Uh, so in in the like lead up to the release of Hamlet, he would be doing interviews and things and he would talk about how he wanted to make his Hamlet less melancholic, that uh, when he read the play, he considered Hamlet uh, to he he would see like a man of action, a man of. Uh, great popularity, a man who was like a man about town, like tour. And that's the Hamlet that he wanted to put on film. But the problem is when you take depression out of Hamlet, half the soliloquies don't make any fucking sense. No, it's so weird. He's just like, it feels like they, they're just in the text because they have to be. Yeah, because he, he has shows to do up and it's just like thing. talking about death and everything. And it's like, well, this is a play. Of, this is a movie about intrigue, which a smarter director would have made cuts. Yeah, but that's not what what Branagh wanted to do here. If you wanted to do something um, strictly about intrigue, you cut all the soliloquies. Brano wanted to, you know, take Hamlet, which is the crowning achievement of the English language, right? Like, if you talk about the English language as a large abstract concept and its history, you get two things out of it: you get Beowulf and you get Hamlet. Yeah. Um, Beowulf, while not exactly a cursed product like Cleopatra. Or Don Quixote in movies yeah movies have their own curses that are separate from plays Macbeth has never been a cursed movie But Don Quixote has yeah. always been a cursed property as has the story of Cleopatra Well, I mean it did, um, it did fine for a musical well, yeah, but then they made that musical into a movie yeah, it, and it was not good. good. No, it's man it's, of La Mancha movie is is down there with the main movie Yeah, It's quite bad Beowulf was not a cursed property, but it was a joke It was one of those things where it's like when a movie's budget is getting too bloated. It's like oh they're adapting Beowulf That's what it became There was like never any true true, honest attempt to make a Beowulf movie until Neil Gaiman and Roger Avery made a kind of fitfully okay film. Uh, Robert Zemeckis came in and turned it into like a PS2 cutscene. This movie, Hamlet, as the crowning achievement of the English language, of course, right at that point, you're making a mistake. You're looking at it in the abstract. You are not looking at Hamlet for what it is, what the story is, what the focus is. Yes. Or focuses are, whatever. Yeah. You are talking about it as simply an artifact. And that's right. what this movie is doing. It puts in every line of text that could possibly fit. Yes. And it <laughs> uh, is shot on fucking 70 millimeter film. Yeah. It was the first movie in the UK shot on 70 millimeter since Ryan's Daughter, which is a David Lean movie in uh, 1970. Uh, Brian, can you explain um, to me why in the credits it says it was shot in 65 millimeter? Yeah, yeah. So I would love yeah, to. Yeah, I was going to say, this is a camera <laughs> question, so I was like, might as well. So 70 millimeter film is the size of the format when it is at the theater. Okay. The actual picture is 65 millimeters across oh, okay well not the whole picture but the the film with the picture and the perforations on the side yeah the, a similar size to what you see in a medium format um, still camera like a brownie or a Hasselblad then the big thing with 70 millimeter w- that made it so special was that it also had surround sound ooh six channels of sound so if you went and saw the sound of music In 1970, at the big road show production, you would get the sound all around you, different tracks in the back and everything, like you see today with with everything that gets put in theaters. Nice. That soundtrack is five millimeters wide, so that's what makes it 70 overall. The cameras themselves are shooting with a 65 millimeter film, and then it becomes a 70 millimeter film when you uh, graft the sound onto it for the theaters. Well, I will say that the movie does look pretty great. Like, in terms of, like, the actual quality of film. I don't know. Comparing it even to The Sound of Music, which is an absolutely gorgeous movie, it it doesn't come anywhere close. It doesn't come anywhere close. Even if Sound of Music was just the interiors with Christopher Plummer, it it still is miles ahead of of this movie. Uh, So this was the last movie to be shot on 70mm in its entirety until the hateful 8. Oh wow. Uh, there are a couple other movies that did 70mm in the meantime uh like The Master which was not the whole movie, it was most of the movie. Sure. Um and Samsara which is not a narrative picture, it's a documentary. Sure. Um and and of course you had Christopher Nolan shooting some sequences for some of his movies on IMAX which is uh also a 65 millimeter format but it goes horizontally oh interesting and therefore allows you to actually have an, an even larger image so this classic old 70 millimeter format from sort of the todd ao era mm. uh cinerama dome era yeah. <laughs> this for for a very long time was the it was the end the end point of all of it yeah ron howard almost had it with far and away which is also not a very good movie <laughs> and then Brana was like no i must I must do it. I have to curl my lips into my mouth. I must shoot this film on 70 millimeter. I must make it the longest film of all time. I must make it. (laughs) Brian's lips have vanished from his face. Not hard to do with my mustache being as big as it is. But but no, it was, you know, and when you watch the behind the scenes for this movie, uh, Brana really wanted to do like long takes. And there are a lot of like long takes in this movie. And that's what, to be honest, that's what you should do when you have 70 millimeter. That you should let it breathe like that because you're going to be putting on a fucking massive screen. You don't want to be making that. It's, It's the same thing with 3D. You don't want it to cut as fast. Right. And you want to be able to show off, but he doesn't have the sense of what. And, and his DP doesn't have the sense of what it means to really show off with the capabilities of this format. Right. And, you know, there's so, a lot of like uh, I saw them rehearsing the uh, Ophelia get the to a nunnery scene where he's just yeah. running up and he's opening all the <laughs> mirror doors uh, that he can't open up too far because he's, he he's can't the open camera. them too far because the mirror. Yeah, it's it's just. Ugh. Yeah, no, and the DP, the DP, like looking like he hasn't slept in like nine days, is just <laughs> staring into the camera being interviewed for this, he's like, the best and worst part of this entire film are the mirrors, because you have that great scene in To Be or Not To Be, but then you can see me in most every other shot, so we have to figure out how to not do that. Long drag of a cigarette, his hands shaking. I mean, you have to think like this was what was going on at last year at Marion too. Just like mm. the these French DPs just being like, "Oh my god, oh my fucking god, put an extra, put it right there." Yep. They'll they'll say it. They they don't even care anymore about people. they just like, just put it there. Yeah. <laughs> I need to get this camera to go through this room made entirely out of mirrors and spin it around. So Brana um, like, is approaching this film as both being like he really wants to recreate like the epics of you know yeah. his childhood to make it like he had had his success with henry the fifth um he made much ado about nothing which was which actually is good minus keanu reeves yeah basically uh that's a and i I, like, I think i like keanu's performance in that i think more than you do but i will agree that he, he does seem just not- miscast yeah, but there, yeah. um he Brano's films work at their best, I think, when he just allows his actors to like have fun and go loose, and that yeah. just can't happen when his Hamlet is on screen in this movie, which is most of the runtime. And it, and it seems like um some some of them the actors in this movie, notwithstanding, it works best when he gets good Americans like Denzel in Much yeah. Do About Nothing, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, and Denzel's the best part of that movie by far and away. Then Brana did a movie called A Midwinter's Tale, which was self-funded. Uh, that was about people trying to put on a production of Hamlet. It's sort of a precursor to the Canadian TV show Slings and Arrows. Oh, interesting. Uh, that people, people rather liked. And then he was able to get to Castle Rock Entertainment, which was the uh, Warner Brothers sort of subsidiary that Rob Reiner had co-founded. Right. And convinced them to produce this movie, even though it was only five years since Another Hamlet had been done with Mel Gibson. Brana actually praises Gibson's performance in all of his interviews. Like he's he's very sort of magnanimous in his praise for every yeah. Hamlet that's come before him. He actually seems to be like a Hamlet nerd. Like this guy has that's studied the, well, and that's is studying every Hamlet that's like Hamlet is, is that Brana is the guy. Like I said, he is a people pleaser. Right. He is a guy who gets things done. Mm-hmm. Um, and watching him on set. he is always making jokes. Yeah. he's always just getting people to laugh and and take it easy. That is how he runs a set. Mm. Because he's a people pleaser. So he's one of those guys that people will work with over and over and over again. And as you see in all of his Shakespeare movies, yeah. going into his Agatha Christie movies, he even gets his, his acting double in Hamlet to play larger roles in later movies. Oh, well, he, he knows how to owe someone a favor and then pay that favor off. Yeah, and Kate Winslet, uh, in her interview for like the behind-the-scenes documentary, had never really done Shakespeare before, and mm-hmm. she was... Terrified at the prospect of having to play Ophelia, and he called her. Yeah, he called her up. This was one of the first times she had been offered a role. Yeah, because she was still on the way up. Well, she and was, it was actually years old. Like she it was a baby. during. Yeah. It was during Hamlet that she actually went to the U.S. to audition for Titanic. Oh, wow. And came back. <laughs> On the phone with Brana, she was like, it's Shakespeare. And he's like, so what? <laughs> you can do it. It's not hard. And I think that uh, the Hamlet that we see in this movie, this sort of very popular, very kind, very loving to like the players especially, I think that's yeah. the clearest insight we get into Brana as a director and how he runs a set. Which is praiseworthy I think. Yeah, no, that's totally worthwhile and and you you'd, from intuition you'd think that would result in a movie that's far less dull and academic than what we end up getting. Yeah. But he just had too many ideas about like Hamlet in the abstract, about what it means to make a movie like this in the abstract. Yeah. That just make this the dullest thing it could possibly be. So we begin this Movie. Uh, it's an English castle. It's the place where Winston Churchill was born, apparently. Really? Yeah. Wow. The le- the ground is lined with detergent because it doesn't snow in England. We see a statue, presumably of Hamlet Senior. Yeah, Papa Hamlet. We see Francisco looking at the statue, and it keeps like getting like closer and closer. And we see the hand of of Hamlet, the statue, on the hilt of the sword, and then it moves. We have a jump scare. Ooh, Ooh. and then for some reason, Bernardo tackles. <laughs> Francisco out of nowhere, and that's where you get who's there. Stand and unfold um, yourself. The the movement of this little green statue is just like uh, I was on the podcast along with Josh. Uh, have you seen this? And we talked about this Roddy McDowell horror movie from nineteen sixty seven called It, which is about a golem. And sure. the movement of that statue reminded me a lot of that that golem. Yeah, and it should um, be said that the statue of Hamlet that they used is vaguely similar to like the statues that they would have at the actual Elsinore. I mean, Kronborg itself does not serve as that much of an inspiration. I think even the checkerboard floor, which Kronborg has, is a coincidence. Maybe the production designer was making some conscious choices, but it certainly wasn't doesn't seem to be one of Branagh's conscious choices. Uh, Kronborg during Shakespeare's time would not have looked like this. At all. Obviously, this is said in the 19th yeah. century, yeah. but there are a lot of like superficially similar elements of what the redesign of Kronberg was after Kronberg burned out. Oh, I see. There's a ghost. There's a ghost. And this is where I hate the ghost. The, host, the ghost sucks. <laughs> the ghost is very, very bad. I hate bad. the ghost so much. And I found out from listening to the commentary what happened here. because I would love to know. The, the biggest problem with the ghost, right, is that no one has a, a relationship with it. Yeah. Like you don't know where it is. You just see guys running, and then you see a completely abstract shot of a suit of armor. I guess it's supposed to be the statue. I didn't even realize that it was still connecting to the statue because it doesn't connect. Well, it jumps the one it doesn't connect with the people. Yeah, right. Right, right. There's Again, there's no physical relationship. There is no spatial understanding of where it is. There are these weird shots from above in the courtyard. As if it were a drone you, shot or like a crane shot, yeah. Yeah, but it's like they even describe it as a POV shot, but they're not looking at it. So it's not a POV shot. They're like looking below it. Yeah. So it's like above the ghost somehow. And then we have a shot of the ghost. The ghost was not planned to be in this or I think the next scene. I don't think Brano wanted anyone to see the ghost until the actual conversation with him. Huh. He just shot these guys running around the courtyard. Uh, With his crane shot, like, over. With the idea that the ghost would simply be implied until later. So then (laughs) he had to reshoot, and then just, I don't know, had Brian Blessed stand in a T-pose in a bunch of fucking dry ice. Complete shadow. (laughs) Just like you get one shot of his face before he drifts off. I mean, it's, it, it it like, so there's already this very confused relationship that he wants to have. And, and I think a lot, we've, I think we talked about this with the, um, with the Almereta Hamlet, is there a lot of directors who get too deep in this, is the ghost real or not? Yeah. And I don't think the play is asking that question at all. Oh, never. It, it, it asks whether the ghost is really Hamlet's father or maybe a demon. Yes. But it's never like, is the ghost in someone else's head? Because it's like like five guys see it. Yeah, you know? they do. And they and they put so many fries in the bottom of the bag. Right. <laughs> <laughs> too many one might say <laughs> you're not gonna eat all those fries never get the bigger size you're gonna get the same amount of french you fries either you absolutely way will. that's 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 the, and they throw some peanuts in there too that's pre-elephant yeah, that's more like danish fries yeah more like oh, mayo that would be really just like, bad, bad. that'd be terrible covered in mayo but Danish. like imagine like they're danishes but they're fries Ooh, no not for it's, me it's doing it for me okay well yeah just melt them down in the middle like a cheese. Now we danish? know which one of us is a little pervert. Yeah, it's well, he- both of us. I'm jerking it to triangles, Brian. Of course, <laughs> I'm the pervert. So I hate this ghost. I hate this ghost. But it sets up a problem that a lot of characters end up not having understandable spatial relationships with each other that we'll see later. Yeah. Even though this one can be can be taken up with with a a post facto decision that was made at the very late stages of production. Yeah. Um. You can't say that the same about other situations it's proof in the text that Hamlet is going mad because later on when he's with Gertrude and he sees the ghost again Gertrude can't see the ghost whereas mm-hmm. all these guards and Horatio can yeah. see the ghost at the beginning They're I mean so that one is in Hamlet's head I don't ostensibly. think it's in Hamlet's head I think he just chooses not to appear to Gertrude I interesting know. it, it I, I think that the reality of ghosts in Hamlet is concrete mm. but ghosts themselves are Follow mysterious rules because they're ghosts. Yeah. Sure. That's my opinion. I don't think Hamlet ever gets nutty. He gets kind of nutty with it. So, anyway, Jack <laughs> Lemon appears. Yeah. So, <laughs> so there's Jack Lemon. We got our first like big celebrity cameo. Hey. Jack Lemon. He hey, does I'm fine. Jack Lemon. He does yeah. fine like I, I, I walked three times upon this you know whatever then we get to discussions of Fortinbras and we get a cutaway to Fortinbras and there like, is one thing in this opening scene that I think is very demonstrative of a lot of stuff that Branagh is going to do without yeah. throughout the film in order to activate the text visually uh, and to throw in some more celebrities <laughs> yeah uh, Branagh will every once in a while uh, a, a character will be talking about cannons and then the camera will cut to Shots of people making cannons or like you'll be talking about because when the cannon gets fired, we don't get a shot of the cannon being fired, even though that would have made sense. Yeah. And so we see Fortinbras um, being mentioned. And I do understand showing him. I think it's done poorly because he's just in a black void. Yeah. it's like a a very old like TV set where they have no money and they're like, we're just filming this live. We're going to do a different show tomorrow in a war room um, with a giant map that just says Norway on it. <laughs> <laughs> I get showing him since because they have preserved so much of this text. They talk about Fortinbras and, and they talk about Norway and this history a lot you probably do need to set up that he is a real concrete person that exists. Right, and he's played by Rufus Sewell, who is like a notorious villain character of the 90s. He was the bad guy in Knight's Tale, for example, and watching oh, yeah. this movie, I was just like, God, I hope he got to play Macbeth at some point, because he would fucking mm. rule as Macbeth. It turns out, 1999, he got <laughs> Macbeth because of this movie. <laughs> um, and it's on stage, he such, or did he do a movie of it? Uh, it was on stage. Okay. Uh, but he wears almost the same crown that he wears in this movie. Uh, which is Shakespeare directors. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, speaking of crowns, this mm. scene ends with all the guys sort of huddling in the back of the courtyard. They're so cold. Or pretending to be so cold. As they walk off, there is this emblem of a crown, you know, uh, on the wall. Yes. That then crossfades... Uh, in a sort of graphic match into the throne room mm-hmm. and we see this sort of wedded procession Not, it's like I guess just after the wedding yes Kenneth Branagh is very proud of, of featuring the bourgeoisie in this scene it's not just the people of the castle right. it's ordinary people it's the and Danish he, people and so he's playing up the fact that his Claudius is trying to create like a more open Denmark he's trying yes. to show off that like we are accessible we are modern we are enlightened we're and going to Hamlet's listen to you to the people we've invited you yeah. into our sacred space yeah. to help us celebrate our marriage and and we get a, a brief cutaway again to norway and another black void mm-hmm. uh featuring <laughs> well, sir norway john mills is notoriously a black void that's yes. where the boyg lives <laughs> it's, yeah it's we're in the boyg yeah, yeah we're, we're in the boyg <laughs> right now so we see sir john mills as as the king of norway uh, yes. John Mills, you may know from the Swiss family Robinson, or he played Gus in Cats. Uh, so he's is, there's another kind of famous guy. Yeah. There we go. The guy no. from the Swiss Family Robinson. The Disney movie. I'm they made that walkthrough attraction. Swiss family that then Robinson became the... the Norway loves you more than you will know. I don't think Norway loves them at all. Oh oh oh. They're, they have antipathy for the Swiss. So this scene um, is actually very I think colorful and alive. Uh Claudius is I wearing say bright, bright red. red. It's trying to be. Yeah, it's like it's red trying red to and be white. colorful and alive. It looks like a looks like ca- a candy striper convention for the most part, but it also sets like the tone of this thing being very explicitly 19th century restoration uh, yeah. Chessboard floor. Um, this was a set they built, which, so they could later like absolutely annihilate it when Fortinbras like invades. Yeah, and you know, I honestly—it's full of mirrors. It's full you of don't, mirrors. You don't quite see the mirrors here because everyone's seated in front of them. But right. this has the shot that everyone knows because it's on the box. It's where all the petals are being thrown from the roof. It's it's it's. It's the scene that's supposed to look amazing in 70 millimeter and it still just doesn't quite get there. No, I mean, the the flower petals are like, I think, one of the bigger swings he takes as a director. Yeah, and I yeah. mean, that's not really saying a whole lot because it's yeah, not he really just, that big a swing. He but. just needs to get in there. He needs to get in the flower petals. In yeah. My opinion. And have him yeah. and have him fall down like or really like make the pink pop like they're just mm-hmm. they're kind of they kind of fade because everything is white like the entire yeah. room is just white so they kind yeah, of they're fade very the pale petals too they're not they're you know they're they're pinkish, but they're More white than anything. Hamlet's skulking in a corner. He's wearing black. Everyone's applauding. They're like, yeah, Laertes, you get to go to France. And then the camera swoops behind the huge crowd of people, and standing by himself in a long hallway, clad in all black, is Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet, whose hair could, I guess, conservatively be described as when I tried to look cool in seventh grade and got frosted tips. I uh, think it's sort of okay, but uh, that's me. I don't know. It's not my complaint with him, that's for sure. It's not my main complaint, but it it, <laughs> it is it is a complaint. It's just he has to I be th- like. I, I actually thought he looked more or less fine. Maybe a little too old, but and he does um, talk a lot in his interviews about how he wanted to make sure that he was old enough to in order to be able to play like play the part intellectually, as opposed to be just being physically. Sure. 30. Yeah. Whatever. That, yeah. Pff, fucking whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's very, it's very dumb because, it, again, it, it it speaks to putting Hamlet on a pedestal, which is what yeah, this so entire these, film does. These interiors are not shot in Blenheim Castle. This is shot on a soundstage, very large soundstage. Everyone leaves. We get the pedals. Hamlet has his two two solid flesh monologue, which is, you know, sort of the exposition of what's happened. His dad died less than two months ago and they got mar- and, you know, his uncle then just married his mom. And- Where he explicitly mentions his melancholy. And uh, this is a this is a bad scene. This is a bad monologue. I mean, it's a good monologue. Yes, uh, but it's being done poorly. It's recitation. He's reciting it and that's what you're gonna get for most of this movie it it is a performance that I like to refer to as look I know the lines and that makes sense if you don't have a director like he you can see his mind thinking about camera shots as he Mm -hmm. does this monologue you can see him being like okay so I have to walk this amount of paces to stop so the camera can get me and not be caught in one of the nine mirrors I put on the wall so many long tracking shots he even they they reinforced the floor and made it perfectly flat so that they didn't have to put tracks down and he didn't like steady Cams either. So it's actually a dolly on tires rolling around the set at all times. Yeah. And you see a lot of the floor, so they couldn't even tape it. So you had to figure out your marks using Mm -hmm. number of steps, very technical details like that, because these are very, very long shots. Which, again, bold, very few of them are actually uh, inspiring in any way. (laughs) I understand his interpretation of Hamlet when he's around other people people like i understand the guardedness and perhaps recitation being like a tactic to not have to fully engage with those around him yeah yeah. but you can't get away with that shit in the soliloquies we got to see the real person at the core of this and there's just there's nothing happening in this movie horatio the guards they show up they tell him about the ghost outside and he's like oh my father's spirit And and he you know he sends them off and he's like i'll join you tonight and he closes the door. He's like, my father's spirit in arms as voiceover while he's alone. Gotta just talk. Then he starts talking. Okay. So, like, cool. Great. part of it is talking, part of it is voiceover. Which um, could be interesting if that if you're doing that for all of them, the, yeah. all the soliloquies. Like, he's actually having a conversation with his head, but he just, he doesn't commit to it. No, he doesn't commit no. to the bit. So, then we get another really long tracking shot, which is mostly just people walking in a straight line outside it's Laertes and Ophelia. It's a very long shot that we have the Laertes Ophelia scene where they talk to each other. Polonius gives his advice. He's not seen as a doddering old fool in this part of the movie. For some or, reason, or I mean, basically ever, which is my it, biggest it problem with this. Comes into play a little bit later, but it's like weird. Yeah, he's he's very savvy. Like he's Laertes very and Ophelia aware. kiss on the mouth a couple of times. They sure fucking do. I I thought Polonius was about to kiss Laertes on the mouth, mm-hmm. and then he he goes for the forehead. But it's like a long scene of him grabbing Laertes' face. I'm like, is this just a family that kisses each other on the mouth? Is this Tom Brady? <laughs> And uh, then we have a very abrupt change of of scene for Polonius's speech, too. It's just like they're walking outside and then they're just in the chapel place. Yeah, where all of a sudden he, like, turns into Batman in the interrogation scene and, like, (laughs) shoves Ophelia onto the bench. And is like, what have you been doing with Hamlet? And And while he's talking to Ophelia about her relationship with Hamlet, we get a sex cutaway. Because, again, whenever someone's talking about something, we have to see it. Right. We and have it's, to see it. It's never explicitly said in the original text of Hamlet that Ophelia and Hamlet have sex. Yeah, uh, but I feel like with her songs in Act 4... It's more, Um, it is, it is more like you can see the thing for her virginity. It's just, is it by putting her next to him? It makes him look, does he think it makes him look younger? Because I think it actually has the opposite. Makes him look much older. It makes him look much, 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 much older. So we, we end up back out out on the ramparts. We're going to meet the ghost again. Gotta meet the ghost. And that's, that's where that cannon goes off. And, and, uh, Kenneth Branagh talks about the wedding tradition. And again, we cut away to it. So we see Jacoby running through the halls and all the attendants and everyone as they're drinking and he's going to run to bed. This is a very literal movie. Yes. Yes. It's literally like beat by beat, just the play. And, but with, but with no, (laughs) but with, but with with little little understanding of what makes the play work, cutaways and little flashbacks. And they're not, there's this funny conversation that goes on in the, in the commentary where it's like, is the flashback Polonius's idea or is it Ophelia's idea? It's no one's idea. It's yeah. a cold, omniscient narrator saying, this is what happened in the past. Now yes. we're back in the present. There are no flashbacks that are in someone's head. Every flashback that happens is just right. a flashback that the movie is showing you. We, yeah, and we also don't get into any character's heads, which is another no. one of the big problems no, no, of this thing. No. There's a couple little voiceovers, but that doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you no. think it might count. It doesn't here. <laughs> and when things get scary or things get thriller-esque, I believe... Uh, when they all start doing choreography as zombies, when things get thriller esque, there is a point where Brana's only direction to them is just maybe scream every line. So yeah, as we see with this ghost, and I mean this is a screamy scene anyway. It's not super long. You can get away with it. You want to build up the tension. Yeah. Um. It happens in other places, and we'll we'll see that. I just Uh, think a way to justify that would be to have like wind blowing, like really, so they have to like scream to hear each other. But it's just silent. Or or I mean, they even play with the earth crumbling and things like that so it could be them talking over these horrible sounds yeah that are the world tearing itself ghost. apart yeah yeah again it's where is this ghost where are they looking yeah up they're looking uh, there, kind of like right below the yeah, camera but they're looking up and the and the composition of this of again the reshoot shots of brian blessed and or a body double yeah, don't relate to each other in any way. And we see no scene. We see we see no framing at all where we have both the subject and the ghost, which yeah. just doesn't really make good sense. You want to give a sense that this thing is intruding on the world with them like a ghost does. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, and that it is like the reason the ghost is here. It has to fight against literal nature itself in order to tell this message. And, and again, it's like you're already doing these cutaways. Yeah. Of things that they don't have a relationship to. They're talking about the wassailing or whatever. This ghost feels like that because you're already doing that. So you're already making a a cinematic language that is creating a disconnect between characters that are sharing the same space. Right. The power of something like Hamlet at the Globe Theater was that there was a ghost there. There was a person there. And the ghost may have been up in the balcony. It may have been among the audience on the ground. Yeah. They, they make concrete references to different parts of, of the architectural structure of that theater. Sure. And it's because, uh, well, it makes sense to do it. <laughs> yeah. And it's also... I mean, it's not just that it's like... Because in the theater, in the, in the Elizabethan era, they could have not had a ghost on stage. They could have just had voices coming in through the walls or thunderclaps or something like that. Yeah. And they chose to put a ghost on the stage. It's not just that it was the only option they had. So, Brian... And it's not that you can't... like you can make a different choice but again yeah. this makes no justification for it at all because it sucks sorry so, AJ no 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 so Brian <laughs> we talked a lot I think in the Hamlet 2000 episode about yeah. how great Sam Shepard's performance is in that and making, oh how, how yeah. it ma- makes the ghost work on a and viscerally terrifying by just putting him in a room by and having him j- talk he just sits in a chair yeah. he just sits in a, in a big comfy chair and talks um, and how it is is—it is one of the biggest challenges to staging Hamlet is how do you make a ghost scary? How do you make the mm-hmm. ghost scary? How successful do you think this film is at making the ghost scary? I, w- I will give them the little moment with the sword at, in the first shot of the movie. The little jump scare, yeah. It stops there. We When we get into the real ghost scene, the actual ghost talking, right? Kenneth Branagh runs out of the gate, and this is another product of post-production, I guess, because... I guess they had him at the gate saying that be thou a spirit of health or goblin damned. Yeah. uh, Be thy intense, wicked or, or, or charitable and then running out. And then they're like, no, he should be saying it while he's running out. But they didn't shoot him saying it when he was running out when that happened. So they just made the parts where he's asking questions of another person into a voiceover. Yeah. When he's just quark, running quark. through the woods, the ground is cracking and f- a fog machine yeah. is just spurting up through it, which is, I guess, supposed to be very scary. But oh, it's fucking garbage! It's, it's so bad. This was the same DP as like Labyrinth, and it feels kind of like Labyrinth. Oh, it yeah. feels like the never-ending story. Yeah, and you'll see that Brana with CGI fares about the same as he does with practical effects. Like, like right. uh, enough, enough champagne, champagne to fill the Nile. has so much terrible green screen going on and it's like it's not the green screen it's 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 ken yeah it's Um, the way it's being used and shot and you know i think those special effects work for me in labyrinth and never-ending story because there's a fairy tale quality to it and there is a certain level of like fakeness i'm willing to buy we have this movie that otherwise has no special effects yeah you're just in big rooms so you need the special effects to be especially concrete you yes. really need them to land. And there's a, apparently a bunch that they cut there because they were too goofy. And it's like, well, it should have gone further. Yeah. Uh, I think the the only part for me that actually is scary are the blue contacts they've put into the ghost's eyes. Oh, my God. So Brian Blessed is one of those, I mean, truly larger than life actors. He has yeah. deep brown eyes. Yeah. And they decided to put contacts in his eyes, which are obviously contacts. Yeah. Because they decided to shoot close-ups of him in 65 millimeters yeah Oh no, absolutely but I and, think it's supposed to be uncanny yeah. in this the what, what gets weird is when he shows a photo of the thing is he's always wearing the contact yeah it's when not he's, like he's alive dead. he's wearing the contacts yeah so it it's not a ghost contact it's a make Brian blessed more Danish contact. Yeah. <laughs> and what a waste of Brian Blessed's talent because they just have him whisper the whole time. Yeah, and it's impossible to understand what's happening. Here you get the loudest, boomingest man on earth and yeah. he just whispers while we cut away to shots of his ear rotting or... The ground breaking apart, and it's the same shot of the ground breaking apart over and over and over again, Mm -hmm. shaking trees. It's a long speech. The ghost has a long fucking speech. Dry ice out on the moors. Yeah, the dry ice budget actually surpassed the film budget (laughs) on this movie. But It's 70 millimeter dry ice. The thing I clung on to most is that this is actually a play about increasingly wacky poisons. Ear poison is very... You can get off on just the weirdness of it. And I do. When you're doing a play where it's like, in my ear, and it's like, ooh, fucking, like what? Yeah. But when you see it, yeah, it's so dumb. It is very dumb, especially when they make the poor man like die like for a oh long my. time. You watch Brian Blessed do a little like shocked, uh, and it's so comic. Yeah, and he's got and he falls off, off of bubble he up falls on off his, of ear. his like porch chair that he has out in the snow. Yeah, well, and whereas in Hamlet two thousand, I, I I said this in that episode, but it's like the idea that like this is a poison that clots your blood and makes your heart stop is something I got very, very clearly for the first time from that movie. Watching this movie... this movie, it does not clot your blood. It does the opposite. It starts bleeding out. Yeah, and it also because he's whispering every single line in a very creepy way it's impossible to actually tell what he's saying almost at all because all the words blend together because there can't be the emphasis that iambic pentameter fucking demands in order to be under fucking stood so i think they set him up to fail in this movie but we also see all the happy times that that hamlet the greater and gertrude had together we see them curling like playing the game curling uh-huh. in the hallway yeah i gotta and put that rock in of the this house stuff is done in that bad slow-mo that we were talking about yeah. um with heart and soul where it's it's frame they copy frames instead of actually over cranking the camera yeah, yeah yeah, so it's 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 artificial and it's Do you mean heart condition? Dopey. what did i say you said heart and soul oh, heart, but, no heart no that did not happen in heart soul. and souls yeah, um, which I did bring up in the heart condition episode, um, you know, because the thing with Hamlet is he starts to pretend to be crazy after this. Yes, right? that's part of his thing. He's like trying to figure out what's going on by holding everyone at arm's length and being a little wacky. Yes, it seems like he's already doing it with these guys the moment the ghost leaves. Right. Even right. though They're the ones who are part of his inner circle who he says, don't tell anyone what I'm about to do. I'm about to act crazy. So yeah. this is Hamlet being nuts in a very fake way. It actually uh, it feels like it's when Brenna is having the most fun is when he gets to be his version of crazy, which I'm, I'm sorry to say, if anyone out there has seen Slings and Arrows Season 1, but the woman who plays the original Ophelia, who thinks that playing Madness is just getting super stoned, like, it has that level of, like, comic absurdity to it. Like, it is... No one in a minute would ever buy that this guy was actually crazy and not just putting it on like it's so clear that he's acting especially once the players come in which is not quite yet he's just doing bits uh, we haven't mentioned Horatio yet the actor who plays Horatio Uh, completely indecipherable for most of the movie. He, he is also yeah, in the Branagh camp guy, yeah. of just, like, of recitation. He's yeah. just getting all the words out, and he's acting very hard, but I don't know what he's saying. So then we get Gerard Depardieu, who's actually quite good in this. He is! Uh, I have to say. the three minutes, five to six minutes that he said in this movie. Weird scene where they decide that Polonius... Needs to be sleeping with the hooker, I guess. Everything that those two are talking about is so long and it it weighs in no manner on any other part of the movie because it doesn't go back to Norway. It doesn't, it's just. It's to remind you Laertes is a character? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> even though he just left, he's like literally he just left. should put this in a few scenes later, I guess. Yeah, and it's also show that that Polonius is a puttering old fool, which this movie yeah. also disposes of entirely. Even right? If, no, he's a he's just a schemer in this movie, really. Yeah. Even in a scene, like, what was I saying? What was I saying? Can you tell me what I was saying? It's like he's testing. It, it feels him. like it comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it feels like he's testing him to be like, are you paying attention to what I'm saying, as opposed to I am yeah. bumbling over myself. But it also makes the scene make no goddamn sense because it's supposed to be yeah. comic relief, right? We have this big yeah. scary moment that's, of the, that's ghost. the only reason to keep it is like if you really have a nice way to play that moment where polonius is just talking and talking and talking it's like what was i you remember what, what i was saying tell me, <laughs> tell, tell me what i was saying tell, i mean me I, I know I what, what i was saying but do you know what i'm saying like it's just like it, it could be very funny it could be funny it's not this um, is inert this is this is just a dead fish of a scene yeah for so a fish we, we get another cutaway to norway Yeah, we have this whole thing where the matter with the, I don't know, ambassadors or messengers or fucking whatever, Norway talks to Fortinbras and gives him money. Big maps on the table, (laughs) Fortinbras angry, he wants Poland. The the, the black void. (laughs) The boy howls. So like Ophelia has shown up in in Polonius's chambers and and is like, Hamlet showed up in my room, he's all fucked up. And Polonius was like, oh, I thought this guy just wanted to bone you. He's actually in love. Like, he's crazy. Yeah, he's, he's gone crazy completely in love. insane because you turned him down because I told you uh-oh, to. Uh-oh. And that love has made him n- nutty. So he brings Ophelia over to Gertrude and Claudius. He's like, I know it's causing all the trouble. Hamlet's being annoying. Uh, it's got nothing to do with his dad who just died. Yeah, no, <laughs> no. And you getting married within two months of that happening. Yeah. It's. uh... It's it's because he's just in love with Ophelia. Look, he he wrote all these letters to my daughter, and Ophelia starts reading the letters. And uh, love you, Kate Winslet. But oh my God, just read the like, just get it done. Yeah, this scene is five minutes of you crying between yeah. every word. Here's the thing, though. I Kate Winslet. At least I understood, like she. Is very good at making you understand Shakespeare's language, and I think yeah, that's because yeah. she didn't. That's the have, benefit of yeah, yeah having someone who's not a Shakespearean actor. Absolutely, yeah. and she is one of my favorite parts of the movie. But I do agree that this, like this, well, that's the thing. Oh, it's is not her fault. It's, it she's was directed just been given to be too many way. lines because yeah. th- th- these lines should be cut. Like Hamlet was never presented in its original time at this length. No! It was never intended to be presented at this length. So of course you have bloated filler and the pacing's all over the goddamn place because this isn't what people saw. This isn't the play. This is, this is, this this is, yeah, a lot of this was like for publication. Uh, So we get another cutaway where the letter gets finished by Kenneth Branagh Mm -hmm. in the boudoir. So Polonius is like, yeah, (laughs) Branagh, so Kenneth Branagh loves to come through the lobby of this castle. Kenneth Branagh himself no, no more Hamlet. It's just Kenneth Branagh. It's just gonna be Kenneth Branagh. Yeah. Kenneth Branagh is having sex with my daughter. Yeah. He's like he likes to come through the lobby here every day at like noon or whatever to read a book. Yeah. And, and just like clockwork, there he is. And Suplonius is like, I'm gonna talk to Kenneth Branagh, and I'm gonna tell Kenneth Branagh. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna see. I'm gonna see if he's insane because he's in love with my daughter. So now we have this parallel plot, right? Hamlet yeah. is trying to figure out. If Claudius actually did the murder, yes. so that he can carry out the the revenge, and Who Polonius knew what, when, and Polonius is like, I have my answer. I just need to prove that Hamlet's insane because he's crazy in love. Yes. So this is the time when Hamlet has to be funny. It sure is. And Kenneth Branagh tries to be funny. Apparently, is a naturally funny guy because everyone's always laughing on the set. Sure. Does not come through. No. Uh, in this. And again. All of his problems would have been fixed with a, a different director who could yep. have said, hey, maybe, uh, maybe less. Or He decides to make words, words, words into a gag, which you can do or not do. Some people do it well. David Tennant did it very well. He sure did. Um, but Branna's way of doing it is just by making a funny face when he says words the third time. His lips, <laughs> his lips emerge from their shell <laughs> and do a nice little diagonal across yeah, from each other. Yeah, he contorts his mouth and says, words and that's supposed to be and that's that's the comedy because to shakespeare nerds saying the words funny is comedy i think because you don't want to add anything you don't want to add the bits and i mean look oh god no we don't we don't we also adding stuff to shakespeare to make it funny mostly in the form of hip thrusts is a cliche for a reason uh, yep. and it's always it's pretty much there's, there's mostly no real bad. dick grabs in this one. There aren't any. There's um the closest actually we get is 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 actually horrifying because it's Ophelia, uh, fucking yes, hamlet that's, that's true. not there. Yeah, so which, she does hip thrusts, but not as a joke. Yeah, no, it's um, it's, it's horrible actually costume. deeply. Um, yeah, we'll get to that costume. So yeah, Brandon doesn't know how to be funny. He does like the accept my life bit and just. <sighs> He just pushes it, and he just hopes that if he pushes it hard enough, people will start laughing. Yeah, uh, which maybe they do on set, but it doesn't work for this expert in comedy right here. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it also it also doesn't work for me because without a doddering Polonius, th- the jokes don't land. Mm-hmm. They don't. They actually don't make any sense. And Polonius starts to daughter at the end of all of this section after Charlton Heston shows up, and it's like, oh, what could have been? Absolutely. Um, so Hamlet has these two friends from Wittenberg, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, uh-huh. who are recruited to spy on him. And so we see them with the throne room. Then they scurry off and they're, they're going to pretend that they're arriving in Denmark the moment that they meet Hamlet. Yes. And so in this, they ride in on the little tiny train from the Avengers that almost ran, <laughs> almost ran over Dame Diana Rigg. Mm. Uh <laughs> We are, we are not referring to the Marvel Avengers. We no, are we were talking about the British television show with the famous episode where Diana Rigg is almost run over by a train conductor retiree with the smallest steam train in the world. <laughs> uh, these men are actually not riding on a steam train. It is a diesel powered train. And I found out I was like, did they go to that rail yard from the Avengers? No. Yeah. This is on the grounds of that castle. They just this, found that? Just, it was sitting there, so they decided to use it. So, you know what? That's that's good. That's spontan- spontaneity. That's really... Um, uh, Brian, that's actually really interesting because I because you texted me while watching the movie being like, are we going to yeah. talk about the train? And I said, why? And you said, that's my question. Why like, this you train? Been, you had been watching special features, and I was like, did yeah. anyone mention the train? Because this is fucking weird. Well, here's <laughs> they, the thing. They just show up on a tiny train. It's, it's, it's really baffling to me because you've provided that explanation of they just found it on the grounds (laughs) and I actually found completely different Intel about why they use the train Um, and it was because there was actually believe it or not a thing that Brana cut from Hamlet from this movie okay Okay. Um, it was a musical number and it turns out that I found the lyrics to it and I'd like to uh, recreate it for you now if I could Rosenkrantz and Guildenstern, the bros of the railway terrain. There's a whisper down the line at 11.39 as Kenneth Branagh holds in a fart, saying, Rosen, where is Rosen? He's probably out there frozen on the tundra where the train won't start. And as for gentle Guildenstern, he'll just have to wait his turn, even though I consider him a mensch, cause while Hamlet can't stop speaking, the two of us are sneaking round the parapets a we can french rose and cranced and killed stern i mean you get it right do you get the song no <laughs> you're fired <laughs> i Never told you Katz was coming back. again i shot my shot i i, I said why it would up. i know a song from cats I don't go out of my way to seek out cats content. I've never heard this song in my life. Uh, There's a train song? Yes, Kebleshanks! That's the so fucking cat. stupid. The That's Cat on so the Railway is Fucking train. stupid. What a stupid fucking musical that you're wasting everyone's time with. <laughs> you did that whole thing that was two minutes long. Uh? Uh-huh. Uh uh-huh. it was not two minutes long. Can't you need to go to thought. a church. <laughs> you need to convert to, I don't care what kind of a church, but you need to find some kind of higher power because <laughs> you're in a lot of trouble. Like your immortal soul is in danger. Would you say that now would be an ideal time for Hamlet to kill me? <laughs> now would be an ideal time for anyone <laughs> to kill you. I, I look, I'm proud of the Rose, internal rhyme of Rosen and Frozen myself, but you know. I've given up. I say, no, I say let COVID kill everyone, especially you, and especially me, and especially you. Uh, viewers, I think this is actually probably a pretty good time to take uh, our break, so Brian can... Um, we're going to have our intermission much sooner than Kenneth Branagh did. Well, That's he puts it in a weird sure. place, too. He puts it puts like it in, it in the worst absolute, place. It's the absolute worst place to put the intermission. Yeah, so we're going to have a break, and I don't even know if I'm going to let AJ write this commercial. He, he's... <laughs> He's on thin fucking ice. Hey, everybody. Josh here. Um, I'm out this week with the novel coronavirus, but just wanted to pop in real quick and give a few of my thoughts on today's topic. And so without further ado, here's my review of Kenneth Branagh's William Shakespeare's Hamlet. I haven't seen it. Looks like it's bad, though. And now back to the show. Of all the riches that musical theater has on offer... Mm -hmm. The only thing you ever reference yeah. is not only Andrew Lloyd Webber, mm-hmm. but Andrew Lloyd Webber's cats. Yes, that's it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, what happened to do, you? Do you? I mean, but Brian, what Freudian thing did this movie stir up in your horrible little mind? <laughs> Brian, can I answer your question with another question? You already—you you just did that. Great, I'm going to do it again. Okay. Are you blind when you're born? You just, you actually like it. That's the problem. You actually like cats. Uh, Yeah, I think so. Yeah, you do. I think I could probably say I do. Yeah, you do. Probably, no. This This does not come from hatred. You just wrote a verse and a chorus of lyrics. Yeah, but to be fair, the chorus is only two lines long. We're not gonna be fair. I have no interest in being fair. Okay. Andrew Lloyd Webber killed a cat. He murdered his own cat. Yeah, I mean, probably. He should not be praised for his musical on the subject. What is more painful? Talking about a musical that is that grotesquely bad or this boring for wow, hour Cats is, track. No, Cats is worse. Yeah, Cats is worse than that. All right. Because I can at least turn this on in the background and it won't bother me. That's true. You can't do that with Andrew Lloyd Webber. No. He will always fucking bother you. He'll always show up. His weird fucking little face will emerge from the bogs and say, What are you doing tonight, stranger? Well, what's funny? What are you doing tonight? But he's, I mean, he's not Irish. That's not Irish. But why would he be emerging from a bog if he wasn't Irish? There's bogs in England. No, that's... There's bogs and there's quicksand. That's a my people thing. We own the bogs. No, there are bogs in oh, England. Oh, probably, but we Google, own it. We're bog people. Google it right now. No, we're, we're the bog we're people. We're the bogs. All, you're all bog people. I, I, I include myself in this. I have... <laughs> you all! <laughs> Anglo-Irish background as well. There are plenty of bogs on the horrible bog islands. Listeners, can you tell... Can you tell how much we want to not talk about this movie? <laughs> so much of this movie mm-hmm. is just filling space yeah you just have to get through the text and especially in speeches it's just because there there are rewards to it there are there are moments in in little pieces of dialogue where it's like oh wow that sounds kind of modern oh i see how that relates to the larger intrigue or whatever that usually gets ignored yeah and and can be illustrative or revelatory (laughs) but the speeches it it just becomes words this is why the first scene of almost every shakespeare play is bad because it's just words yeah Um, (laughs) his and when it tries to do more it just tries to overwhelm you with expenses yes like the flower petals or the detergent snow or things that aren't actually... Or the celebrity cameo They don't overwhelm you as the audience member, but they're trying really hard to do that. Yeah. And here we'll get to the great celebrity cameo of the players showing up and Hamlet having his big idea to use a play to catch the king's, king's conscience. And he sees these players who are all dressed as Dickensian carolers. For some reason. And he talks to the player king. A one Mr. Charlton Heston, who is phenomenal in this movie. Yep, this is why you hire American. A real freak in real life, but holy fucking absolute shit. Absolute fucking loon, like incoherent, probably even at this point starting to get a little senile. But the man, I mean, the man could retain this Shakespeare and this is, yeah, and as you said, like the small little bounties that you get from doing the whole text, I think are on full display in this scene in particular, which is never the case in this play. Mm -hmm. It's because when you're doing this play, you're not going to have someone with the caliber of, of Charlton Heston playing this role, this otherwise minor role where it's going to be bundled up with other small roles, right? But, because of the benefit of doing a movie, you do get this one truly inspired moment, yeah uh, of Charlton Heston uh, reading off this this speech that was probably from Troilus and Cressida that got cut. Uh, and Judy Dench makes a nice cameo. well, and Judy Dench makes a cameo. So does John Gielgud. Yeah. Those fall on the other side of the spectrum. yeah. <laughs> Because they are, again, in the story, we have to get literal. Uh, we talk about striking too short at Greeks, Pyrrhus and Priam. We see John Gielgud in another almost black void. Yeah. Leaning against a wooden pillar. It felt kind of like uh, a Lynchian like Red Room situation. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. No, because Lynch just kind of plays with that cheapness. Yeah. Because he really loved Ed Wood. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you get a scene of Judy Dench crying. Yeah. For and reason. and I don't think Judy has a single line of dialogue in this. No, no, no. She just she cries. Just cries she's students. just in the story. She doesn't there's no line for her to have. She's serving some real Roman tragic she's, realness. She's just Niobe. Wait, no, Hecuba. She's Hecuba, Niobe, yeah. Niobe is also famous for crying, so it's just Right. The whole yeah. point of that scene is that the actor starts crying. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Charlton Heston does this. You also get to uh, Rosemary Harris. We love to oh, see Aunt May. We do love to see Aunt May. This moment is fine, and, and Brana, as he talks to the players as he's introducing the speech. He gets to be a stage actor in that moment. Yeah. And it's like, oh, there he is. There's Hamlet. Yeah. Well, there's an actual person standing in front of me now. Yeah, because he's talking about a thing he loves. It's like it's like somebody cornered Branagh and said, hey, uh, uh, tell me about why Hamlet's great. And again, they shouldn't have had Gielgud or, or Dench here because they should have just had Heston yeah because he carries it it's one of those things like I could just watch him I actually would get mad when it would cut away because I was just like yeah you're taking me away from the goods it feels like they shot the cutaways later and had run out of money like they like they just there's no walls (laughs) yeah Walls. They're so they're so cheap and they're not elaborate. So Wild. we get to To be or not to be. Polonius and Claudius are spying on Hamlet. They have Ophelia hiding under a stairwell. The way this movie does things, because you rarely ever leave the fucking main courtroom, even though it's a movie. Yeah, they um, spent a lot of money on that set, and they're gonna make every penny count. It's like Joe Wright's Anna Karenina was. Explicitly set in a theater, and they still used more rooms in that building. Yep, yep. That that movie also Um, rules. I I love. I love that movie. They hide instead of behind an eras.
1: They hide behind yeah, no, and then
0: Sephiroth <laughs> comes down and stabs her through the chest and Yeah. So they they hide behind a mirror because there's all these mirrors that we're gonna use that are also doors. They're very brightly lit behind that mirror, which would mean that you would see them. Whatever. Sure. The whole movie is just way too brightly lit. It's very nineties. It's just like high-key lighting everywhere. Yeah. So Hamlet stands in front of a mirror and just it does Slowly to or not walks to towards the mirror. To be or not to be We've talked about it before, but just how it's like, it's not where the emotion comes from, right? That's, that's yeah. a case you just got to ride the text. But there's two objectives that you can choose when you play Hamlet in this scene. Either he's aware that Claudius and Polonius are spying on him from the word go, and he's doing to be or not to yeah. be to prove his madness and to fake his madness, or he has no idea and he's just contemplating yeah. his mortality and whether or not he wants to take his own life, and he's doing it as soliloquy. The second one is the right one, by the way. Yes, correct. (laughs) But worse than that, We always tend to take a third choice, which is let's do to be or not to be now. And that's the choice this movie certainly makes. I know that Benedict Cumberbatch production of uh, of Hamlet that they did a few years back opened the show with it, which I can kind of respect because it's like we're just doing the let's do to be or not to be now. And also we're just getting it out of the fucking way. We're not going to put it in the body of the rest of the play. Right. Right, like, so it doesn't distract anyone. People got mad, so they had to put it back because they're fucking English. Um, sure, and you can't do anything out of order. You can't do anything out of order, fucking, unless unless you explicitly do it based on the first quarto, and then they're like, ah, they're doing the first quarto ah, now, which is what they. Is back, hey, Corumbus. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's you know it's what the David Tennant one. I prefer a triangle like, myself. But here we go, and he's just looking at a mirror, and we get music underneath, and it's just like, look at how pretty the Shakespeare words are, and he's doing Shakespeare words right now. Anyway, that's enough of that, I think. Because the, the choice that he... Okay, so here's where Brana's entire interpretation of Hamlet falls apart at the seams, right? In this version, he does not know that they're behind the mirror. Yeah. Because he finds he, it out he, later he in the And he makes the, the right scene. decision about where he finds out. I think that is absolutely the correct way working from the text. Right, but if you have a Hamlet that's not melancholic, this monologue makes absolutely no. no goddamn sense. It's it's so weird. It's so weird when it happens, and it's like, well, I guess that's the thing from this place, so they're doing it. Yeah, But it's just like, we've not been up to this shit. Yeah. Like the lines about stale promontory and all that have been completely glossed over. Right. His losing of his mirth and everything. Because he hasn't lost (sighs) his mirth. Here's the speech. Here's the words of Shakespeare in glorious 70 millimeter with a mirror. Yeah, He talks a lot in his interviews about how he sees a Hamlet that is popular that, you know, and people describe him Mm -hmm. as being popular and how he would have made a great king had he not been at Wittenberg and had ascended the throne. But it misses the fact that everyone says that how much he's changed. Well, his popularity. Popularity is with the common people who don't know him personally, right? Sure. Unless they're watching his TikToks. Yes. And, uh, oh man, oh man. His <laughs> would have the most annoying TikToks. I mean, that would yeah. be more the Ethan Hawk Hamlet. Yeah, absolutely. All shot on pixel vision. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> would be, that would be if I get into TikTok. I was like, I shot this TikTok on film. Um, <laughs> and I had it developed and then film. I shot it frame by frame. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, no. Don't so, uh, so for me, me, this is the part. This is the point where the, the entire interpretation falls apart entirely because you have to have yes. a, a Hamlet who has to contemplate. If you want to keep the speech, but he has to contemplate his mortality. That's because the interpretation is not of a character; it is of hamlet as a work of literature to be preserved in this fucking museum piece in this amber stone yeah this is the movie (laughs) equivalent of that fucking um stratford production of oedipus that tyrone guthrie directed in 1957 Hmm. uh, where it's just like this is what the greeks were i mean you know they they try to make it a full recreation on a canadian stage indoors. But what's so infuriating is that Brana's like he knows it's not supposed to be like Anglo-Saxon and hose and doublet and pumpkin pants. Yeah, yeah. He's like, oh yeah, that's that shit's boring. Pumpkin but pants. But this is just the 20th century version of that. It's just slightly less gothic, it's slightly less Anglo-Saxon, but it is very traditional and it's very much built in like this thing is giving you the library version of Hamlet on film. Yes. And he actually goes out of his way to explain again in all these interviews about how yeah. he wants this to be people's entry point to Hamlet. Like he wanted to like yeah. open this make Hamlet open up Which to the Which unfortunately mouses. it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's also the reason why he didn't want to play him as melancholic because he wanted to create a Hamlet that was more of an every man. And Kenneth Branagh is like, but I don't understand depression and therefore most people don't understand depression. So we're just going to cut that yeah. little, you know, especially oh, not teenagers, especially not teenagers. Uh, so this just becomes a guy saying the lines of to be or not to be another way that, that this same problem was approached the same way and, and uh, dealt with was Ingmar Bergman, Ooh. who took Peter Stormare's speech to the players, right? Speak the speech, I pray you trippingly on the tongue, blah, 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 blah. And he talks about all the ways not to deliver it. And then he makes him give an example of how to deliver a speech. And that's the part where he has Peter Stormare as Hamlet say to be or not to be. And Interesting. he does the entire speech as a speech. As instruction, because again, everyone's just sick of having to deal with this shit, and no, no one is brave enough to just do it. Which, uh, no, I, I, I gotta talk about. Uh, you, did you see the thing about the Queen? How Angeloid Weber and, and Lin Manuel Miranda, Miranda yeah. are writing a song for the Queen? Yeah, Lin Manuel Miranda. Oh boy, wrote a musical about the American Revolution. Yes, and is now writing something for the Queen of England. Yes, does our history mean nothing to you, man? <laughs> Well, Miranda, that's very true. Yeah. Like, that's the one good thing about America's history is that we're anti-monarchist. And then we have this twit fucking going and writing a song for the fucking queen. It shouldn't even be allowed. What are they doing? Letting a foreigner from a country that had a successful revolution Mm. write this fucking thing. I get it. He's a climber that one. He sets my teeth on edge, But at the same time... Mm. He and Andrew Lloyd Webber. Well, I expect this from Weber. I mean, Weber's a monarchist. Yeah, yeah, of course. A Andrew on, yeah. Lloyd he's a fucking lord. He's not a human being. <laughs> and he's like a COVID conspiracy he theorist. Is. He's a real piece of shit. Yeah, he's a bad, bad man. And he killed his cat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm respecti- I am respecting your rule of no more cats references, but I need you to understand <laughs> that it's killing me. <laughs> Much like Andrew Lloyd Webber killed his cat. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, so ophelia this is extremely up. self-conscious yeah we have ophelia and we do the shakespeare drag we do the thing where someone yells at someone in shakespeare and drags them while they do it to make it more active yeah i saw them to rehearse this scene and he had to open the it was just they had to literally take a tape measurer between his yeah. head and the mirror to make sure that the mirror would not be seen as he opened the door but it, the effect that it has is that hamlet can't even see into the room that he's looking yeah. into really? Yeah, Hamlet in a full rage is hauling Ophelia's body across this enormous set and kind of opening a door and then kind of opening another door and then kind of <laughs> opening another yeah. door. Until it's he so smooshes her face on the glass. In what I yeah. think is actually yeah. very funny. I think it I think Kate wins the smoosh yeah, face is very they're, silly. They're trying it. They're, they're trying to do something really, really intense, but this is not. He doesn't have that intensity. He doesn't know how to deliver that here. No. And again, you have this weird thing because he's he has slammed her body into this mirror. Yeah. That is also the window that uh, Carambus and Claudius are looking through. Yes. So so here's her father Polonius and he's staring straight at her with her face pressed against that glass. But again, we don't have a shot that has their relationship Right. So it's a shot of the glass in abstract. yes. And then a shot of Polonius and or Polonius and Claudius in abstract. Until the moment where they close the door and run off. Yeah. Where you actually see them all together. But that's where the actual power of that moment is, is really getting a sense of all of them all together. Yes. And again, we're, we're, we're not doing great with like 180 degree lines. It's jumping the all scene over the place. Where, where Hamlet is like talking to Rosencrantz and Guildenstern earlier on is completely breaching that line over and over again. It's very disorienting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously not on purpose. Yeah. Uh, it's just this whole entire disconnected dry dull movie going for its greatest moment of intensity he really wants Hamlet to be extremely unlikable by the midpoint of this film yes and we we get over to the play that's happening and all of Hamlet has these asides to everyone as they're coming in. And here, these are not asides. These are delivered to everyone literally on the stage yes, as the play as is starting bit, up. Yeah. And as the play is running, he yeah, br- <laughs> gets on stage while they're doing the show and is, like, describing their action to everyone. Branna does make this choice actually a lot in the movie, that a lot of private conversations are done out in the open in full view of the yeah. Danish people. Uh, mostly, I think, because when Laertes comes back and is, like, bringing all of, you know... Uh, 15 people. Yeah, uh, all of 15 people. Rebellion. Like you've seen them before and you have a relationship with them before, but it makes a lot of the lines not make a whole lot mm-hmm. of sense. Like it, 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 no, I mean, switch it up a little bit. I get, yeah. I get the impulse. I get using some of it, but then like, especially his parts with Ophelia, he's just shouting. Yeah. The whole time. Yeah. And it's like, it could go between him shouting something embarrassing. And then him whispering something embarrassing, right? Like allow there to be some kind of secrets and and private game happening there rather than just this very irritating scene. This movie does get genuinely active in this scene, though. Yeah. Like it's alive in the scene with the players. It's It's too hammy by the <laughs> end. It's moon over my hammy. Mm-hmm. There's something actually going on. I love Claudius leaving the space and calling for light when the whole place is brightly lit yeah at all times but, but it's but it's done so normally that line is him like having a panic attack right like yeah. he he sees the thing on Give stage light. Yeah, and yeah. he says i need like I, I just need to breathe like he's just trying to get out but derek Jacobi, who we have not really talked about in detail yet but his performance yeah. as claudius is i think one of the best in the movies and i yeah, I, I don't it's think i will see a performance of claudius that's better than this one, he stands up having the panic attack after having seen the players on stage reenact the him murdering his brother, basically in this fake tale called the murder of Gonzago. It is so long. The play; it's extreme that we watch long. them yeah. do. Um, but he stands up because, again, we have to have every word. You do have to have, have every have word, every, every lipless word Conte stands up. He has a panic attack and then he realizes in that moment that he's fucked up. And he stares at Hamlet and he says, I need light as if he knows exactly what that little fucker did to him. And he's going to get his vengeance and he leaves the space. It gave me chills. Uh, Derek Jacobi is one of the only actors in this movie that I think really respects the verse enough to make you understand it. He emphasizes. Yes, absolutely. He emphasizes yeah. the word at the end of every line. Uh, I was never confused about what Claudius says in this movie. He was never reciting it. He was always making sure that it was understandable. Then Branna has to threaten his friends. He's not threatening. Um, he gets a flute. He goes, he goes to, so Claudius goes to confession and he starts praying. This is the whole scene. And they decided to do a fake out. Branna stabs him in the face with his weird right, little letter right in opener the ear. knife. Uh, a yeah. perfect revengeful vengeance, right in the end. And then it's like, ah, uh, no, he was just fantasizing. Anyway, this is fine. Whatever. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Hamlet goes to his mother, and they they have their scene. Uh, I, I'm not, I'm not that. I don't much care for Gertrude in this, to be honest. Yeah, with yeah. You. I, well, I, think, I mean, I think she's a fine actress, but like, it's a, it's a tricky role, and I think, yeah. the, you know, this scene is such a roller coaster too, because the thing I always forget, and i we watched, we've talked about Hamlet 2000, I've read. Uh, uh, the play so many times but I always always forget that Polonius is killed in like the first minute of the scene and then the rest of the scene happens it's extremely it's extremely short dialogue it's very very weird for Shakespeare and then it gets done and then the scene keeps going and this is where I wrote every speech goes on forever yeah it's Um, sure while Polonius has to lie there yeah and when they reveal so Helmut comes in he thinks that Claudius is behind the curtain. So yeah. he stabs through it, turns out it's Polonius cuz he just wanted to be a little he well, he wanted to hear that hot goss. Uh and when they pull the the curtain off of Polonius's face, he, he has it's a very goofy face. He has the goofiest face you've ever seen. Yeah. It looks like it looks like his O face. Um it looks yeah. like he's he was he was doing something else in those curtains uh, so, that I normally um, reserve for triangles. Yeah. This movie just keeps trying to be an epic. It's, it's trying to be large at all times. But like, it's just not Hamlet. Hamlet's just not a large play. No. Yeah. They'll talk about large stuff, but it's always people talking about it. Yeah. Y- you don't get more than little glimpses of the larger political machine, which is why you actually make a play that doesn't really suffer when you cut all of it. Yeah yeah um, and you know there are grandiose things the ghost and like all the supernatural shit that comes into yeah. that but it's the exception rather than the rule this is mostly well, not people then, in a the room the ghost talking. is like on ramparts and then in a one on one conversation it's not it's not it's not a huge thing well it's also not Macbeth it's, right it's not no it's not a it's not supernatural the it's coven not, of witches in the in the bogs yeah because they have bogs too there's bogs everywhere there's always a bog and it's all for me, bog, me lovely, lovely bog, all gone for beer and tobacco. You know, it, it's a small and narrow play, and Brana, of course, it, it's it's always fighting with that that whole seventy millimeter epic, and it's like you can shoot a small, narrow story with seventy millimeters. Tarantino did it with The Hateful Eight, right. which is his only good movie, and it's a play. Um, I mean, The Hateful Eight is basically a play, right? but he takes that soaring idea of like what 70 millimeter is and like just really has fun with it in these really cramped settings. Whereas this is both too big and too small for what it wants to be because it still keeps trying to be Dr. Zhivago. Yeah. Uh, and Absolutely. that play about the the fucking the Austrians, whatever the fuck that one's called. Sound uh, of music, pre World War One Austrians. That movie, I mean, sorry. Um, whatever, fuck it. He has this scene that almost starts to work where he's running away and he's running through all of the different side rooms and the guards are chasing. Yeah, after him because and, they set this up throughout the movie that there are these little secret passages in this place, but it's never used. Interestingly, like. No. The, later on, it's just like somehow every room gets used in, by, right by the main atrium. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and there is a cool idea here that they present a little bit later where you open a door and it's a padded cell where they throw Ophelia once. Oh, I didn't think that was cool at all. I thought that was very stupid. Well, here's the thing. Why would they make a padded room right next to the Well, that's the thing. <laughs> the it's room. like had they set it up that when you open a door there was a different thing there every time? like and that there was like sort of like a weird devolving like architecture like Winchester thing? house yeah like just some really like cool supernatural stuff then you know sure. it would have worked but as it stands well, it the just padded room is a conversion though because it's just mattresses right they just taped mattresses oh really I thought it was Tape. actually like they. it was a room specifically no there's, there's mattress you can see the yeah it also it also teleports it. because at one point, they're looking yes. through a chessboard into the padded room, but then it's also just offside the atrium. So it's like, it, yeah, the architecture gets really wonky. But anyway, Hamlet um, at, at first hides Polonius's body. Uh, Gertrude's yeah, like, hey, uh, we don't need to get into much of, of, of this. I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah, well, so, yeah. It's funny because, you know, it, on stage, you don't really have any questions about it. But when you watch it, this literal version of it, the yeah. blood... Would lead directly to Polonius' body. The amount of blood that's been like... Well, he says follow the smell. He kind of points them in the general... It's a large castle, even though we don't see much of it. But Hamlet... Yeah, cobra. Hamlet... And uh, then he leaves. But he leaves with Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. He gets hauled out. Yes. Because he's supposed to go to England. It's like, just go to England. You'll chill out. We'll let this bowl Hopefully over. in an asylum. Give the letter. Yeah. You're gonna kill him. He, he goes to England with Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. That's where we get the plane in Denmark, mm-hmm. where he's by himself... <laughs> Just kind of walking around. Yeah, this speech is not in every version of this script. Um, and he runs into Fortinbras. At the, there was a point after he drags Polonius off because like there's two main places you want to put your intermission. It's either usually after the play, within the play, yeah, or it's after Gertrude, the the scene where he kills Polonius and he's with Gertrude. Yes. And he's at this point, and I'm just like, I there's just no intermission. I can't believe they put out a four hour movie. Give it time to that's pee? supposed to be an epic, and there's no intermission, because yeah. epics have intermissions. And then he does the, now all occasions do conspire against me thing. He's on a me. very bad blue screen. Yeah, it's real bad. He's out in Denmark. The camera zooms out forever. This is a very dark speech. Yeah. This is a speech about how he's consigning himself to finally, like, I'm gonna kill people to get what I need done. Yeah. And the music is soaring. Well, it's, it's and he's, it's, he's, it's he turns Henry into this tiny. Yeah. turns. Yeah, it's Henry V. It's the fucking like Act One closing speech from Camelot. It's 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 Scarlett O'Hara eating clay. <laughs> As <Last> God <laughs> is my witness, I will never go hungry again. Yeah. and then only now like three-fourths of the way through the movie, yeah. there's an intermission card. And then you check the... T- you imbecile! You, you check the time code and you're like, there's still an hour and a half of this movie. There's an entire other movie of this movie left. And in your head you're like, they've covered so much of the plot of Hamlet already. What else yeah. is there at this point? Well, there's a lot of scenes where people sit completely still and talk about a French guy. Yeah, that is. There's a uh, lot of that. Uh, my favorite part about that speech where Kenneth Brenna just screams into the ether about, you know, yeah. may my, my thoughts bloody be bloody or be nothing or worth. Or be nothing worth. I You know, the camera is zooming out and giving this huge panoramic shot so he has to scream it. But I also like to think that it's just the camera guy slowly backing away from Hamlet, just being like, "Yeah, yeah, sure, all occasions do inform against you. Yeah, that's that's cool, man. Yeah, and oh, you can say you do not know why you say the things you do. Oh, that's that's fine. I'm just gonna, uh, y- you're cool though, right? I'm just gonna go. We're very tired of watching your non-lips deliver these terrible lines. Yeah. So Laertes leads a rebellion. Hamlet's gone. Laertes is back. And uh, leads a rebellion, which is something that is in the text, but you never see it because you don't have enough people for the play to do that. Yeah. So we get a chance to s- see them, all fifteen of them, in a room off to the side. Yep. <sighs> for some reason, uh, but like is, they don't come into the room with him. It's it's such a weird thing where it's like go all the way with it then. Yeah. Have have your rebellion you have of Danes who are on the side of Laertes. That whole- crew of people it is very also mm-hmm. nice just to see a large group of people in that opening scene and that coronation scene where it's just like oh it's it's not yeah. just cgi it's it's just a bunch of extras like to have yeah. all of them storm would be you know pretty cool but it's just laertes yeah. and his buds clearly there was some sort of budget issue at play uh with with when they could have all the extras that they could have so as we say they threw ophelia into uh a chessboard hell uh, which yeah, is just doing in a, a padded room chest. just right off from the throne room. Yep. And she's in a terrible costume. She's in an absolutely horrific costume. <laughs> it, um, <laughs> it looks like a very silly diving suit. Yeah, they drag her out in this. I'm sure it's period appropriate, but then just don't do it period appropriate, guys. Yeah. She's in a straight jacket. Apparently, they wanted her to piss in the middle of the room. Thankfully, that didn't happen. Uh, She does thrust the air. It is, I, I, I think her performance in this is really jarringly great. It's just the movie is not supporting her in any way. In any way whatsoever. We get this one really gorgeous shot of a blizzard. Coming across the castle, right? There's actual snow falling, and I mean it. There's actual snow falling. Yeah, there was an actual blizzard that happened while they were at lunch, and they were like, "We have to do something. We have to use this because it never snows in England ever." We gotta go. So they went, and uh, they 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 were like, "We don't have anybody like who could who could have their scene memorized." They're like, "Well, let's do the fucking letter." Cause he just reads it <laughs> he just yeah. wrote it down and he read it while the snow was falling. Cause it was the only time, it's the only good shot in the fucking movie. Uh, I mean, it's not the only good shot, but it's like, it's the best shot in the movie. Yeah. Hamlet has this letter. He got abducted by pirates and then he got set free and now he's on his way back. Yes. Blah, blah, blah. And then we have people sitting in a room talking about a Frenchman. Yep. Yeah. Uh- and no cutaway. Yeah. There's no cutaway when they're talking about the Frenchman. No. Nope. Because I guess they want Robin Williams to be a surprise or something. Gertrude comes in she tells the story about how Ophelia died, and they don't do a cutaway for Ophelia either. Yeah. Th- I mean, we do have a scene which is interesting. We, we do have a scene a little bit earlier where um Laertes sees Ophelia uh for the first time and she's in a nightgown now. She's not in, in that in that weird diving suit, yeah, and she yeah, sings yeah. her nonsense songs of hey nanny nani, nani yeah. so on and so forth. And Again, this scene. Oh, well, and and of course those have cutaways. We see her having sex again with Kenneth Brown. Yeah, but I think, I mean, she breaks my heart in this. Like, it is, yeah. it's a devastating scene to see her offering to, like, play with her brother, but not being able to even recognize really who he is anymore. Yeah. And, you know, you absolutely buy what happens to Ophelia, which is uh, she drowns herself. Um, Yep. You know it it, in this version it all the text makes it a little bit less clear until the gravedigger scene. But like I I got I kind of got lost in the language and I was like oh maybe it, it does kind of sound like an accident. Like, she may have just it, it, fallen here's in. Here's the thing. No, she doesn't know what's happening to her. She doesn't commit suicide. Yeah. She dies having no clue what's going on. Right. It was very strange that they didn't do a cutaway for this one, because this one is where you will actually see a cutaway in other versions. Right. And this is the movie that is is Cutaway City, just not for this one speech. No. I, I don't I don't put much stock into the people who, who make it an argument of, like, is Gertrude lying? There's no reason. She's delivering a Seneca speech. Yeah. And... It's, when you do that, you're just talking about a thing that actually happened. Yeah. It's like if Charlton Heston is lying about Pyrrhus and Priam. Right. Right, right, <laughs> You know, and, uh, you know, to Laertes credit, I, I, I think that's such a hard role to play. We talk about it, how he's just all muscle and, like, you know, I think my ideal mm-hmm. version of Laertes is a himbo, but, like, this guy is just all bluster and also very difficult to understand uh, with the text, but I think his delivery of Ophelia Drowned is good like I feel like yeah. you it's not high it, 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 you think he'd be like screaming tearing his hair out but it's just it's so simple it's so small it's like it's just utter shock utter complete incomprehension yeah. and it rules um, and then we meet Billy Crystal and then here's Billy he's the grave digger uh, making those jokes I would argue work for the most part more or less yeah both of them emphasize the word int for some reason yeah I don't understand why. It's Simon it's Russell just, Beale saying, is the other grave digger. It's like y- thou thou dost lie in t- to say to to be and to say it is thine. You just you just say it. It's just a it's just a fucking preposition and a pronoun. Yeah, well, it, might, it might be a memorization thing. It's like, and so. But it's, but Bran is doing it, too. It's not just Billy Crystal. They're both emphasizing the int. It's infectious. And it's so jarring. It's terrible. It has no flow. Yeah. That's my criticism. <laughs> and that's scene. the only criticism, historically, the Gravedigger scene has ever had. Uh, yeah. Uh, Gielgud famously said, this scene never makes anyone laugh, except sometimes children. And he's like, I would know I worked with the best. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah I mean he has George Rose in his production with with uh, Richard Burton right and, and, uh, and again yeah that's a that's a quiet audience for that scene. I mean the fat I mean again, well at that point in the play too, the audience is exhausted because Ophelia's just fucking died. Well and it's just it's it's just not that funny. Yeah. The, the, you know Shakespeare is writing jokes there and those age differently than situational humor. So like the scene between Hamlet and Polonius when done decently yeah. is funny all the time. Even now. Yes. But jokes just aren't funny because we have different ideas for how jokes work. Yeah. It just happens. Too bad. It's an old play. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye Bye-bye. <laughs> bye. Bye bye. Bye 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 Billy. Uh. Um. So Simon Russell Beale just I guess disintegrates into the air. Uh. We never see it. We just never see him again. And then Billy Crystal. Yeah. That's what he does. He goes to Johann's, which was apparently the name of a pub across the street from the globe. Oh wow. That's um, funny. Yeah. So Johan was a real guy. <laughs> we we stan Johan. There's like three speeches he does before Yorick that we usually cut. Yeah. Or before the Alexander speech. We'll, we'll keep that and then do Yorick. But like yeah. usually there's two where he's just watching the gravedigger where he just keeps fucking talking. Yeah. And of course they're all here. Gang's all here. Gang's all here. And Horatio has to just stand and kind of nod his head and look, you know, empathetic. Yep. But, but Brada is also do- surprised. I'm surprised we didn't get a cutaway to Alexander the Great. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's, <laughs> they, they, they didn't have the budget, you know. They had all the Roman costumes, but, you know, they didn't have the time to transfer them <laughs> no, to being Greek. No Greek. No Greek. Yeah, no Greek. No Greek costumes. Um, But he delivers all of these speeches and he delivers them as a man so bored, like bored yeah. out of his skull. Uh, until he can pick up yeah. someone else's skull and then pour <laughs> pour that pour skull. The shit out of that too, so yeah, we see Yorick. I think he's I think that actor is an old music hall guy. He, he was sort of British. famous. He, he leaves an impression, is what I'll say about that Yorick, even with no he's lines. A v- like very interesting face, very um, stark, very stark. And when you yeah. see the skull he's holding in his hands, like it looks like you can you buy it. You buy that that was that yeah. guy's skull, which I think is very impressive. Um, but he has you know the very famous Hamlet. Alas, poor Yorick. I knew him, Horatio. And in my estimation, this monologue is one of the most important ones in Hamlet because it's the entire ending and tragedy of Hamlet hinges on this monologue. He Hamlet has spent his the entire play avoiding death. Not dealing with the loss of his dad because he has to revet, you know, he must revenge his father. So he doesn't have time to grieve really, because he has to just constantly be like trying to, right? You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's stab his uncle in the it, ear. The, the reality of what you're of like what is natural when you're dealing with death, and he has had no opportunity to to be a natural person. Yeah, well, he's terrified and so like that of it. Makes all of his ideas around death start to spiral out of control. Yeah, and he's terrified of it because it's the great yeah. unknown, and it's the thing that like is the propulsion of him for most of the play. Like there is apparently life after death, but it fucking sucks. You know, his dad who he thought was amazing is in hell, you know, like there's all, (laughs) all, all these occasions are literally informing against him. Yeah. And here it is in its most, unpretentious terms he is holding death in his hands he is holding what happens to a human body after it decomposes and he gets no no more of these grand ideas about alexander just being the dirt to stop a beer barrel this is a, a, a this is it this is him just facing it yeah and he gets so close to accepting his dad's death and that maybe we all die and maybe that's okay and then he's interrupted by Ophelia coming in and her body being buried and it's the final point of no return yeah he will never fully understand death until he's dead at the end of the play and although it still gives him i think that this is an interesting way of looking at it because it also gives you that motivation in the the sparrow the fall of a sparrow there's a providence in it yeah it's going to happen it's not now will it it'll still happen some point. Yeah. Um, we all end up the same and maybe, you know, uh, the king's skull looks exactly the same as Yorick's skull. Oftentimes this is the most interesting scene of the play if you're seeing it. It's very, you know, the, it's just interesting. Graves are interesting. Yeah. Uh, the dynamics of it are interesting. And this scene happens in the movie. Yeah. It sure it sure does. Um <laughs> I have no I have no notes on this scene. It has never been clear to me that This Hamlet didn't give three shits about Ophelia. I'm surprised anything was clear to you in this movie because (laughs) at this point my eyes were covered over with a film. (laughs) I hope it was uh, 65 millimeter. Hey, Hey. so a lot of act four hinges on getting Hamlet to to fence with Laertes. Why did they make Laertes? They determined determined that, that it just looks like Lord Farquaad, like all they need to do. To accomplish that is to get a Frenchman to praise Laertes too much or something. So. Yep. The Frenchman shows up. I mean, this is something that's just like very weird in the play anyway, but whatever. Yeah. It's colorful, I guess. The fax um, machine shows up. So this is Robin Williams! Oh my god, it's Robin Williams! Ah, As a final bit of just adrenaline to, to keep you the, end of the play, yeah. we, we throw in Robin and, Williams in here. And he is very sedate in this. Um, he is. He is. What else can he be in Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet? Yeah. What else could he possibly be? I do like that uh, Robin Williams is... Keeps running right up to the edge of doing his gay voice. Yeah, <laughs> just right up to the edge. Ooh. And I don't mean the bird cage. I mean his stand-up comedy gay voice. Yes. And they try to do one gag with him. Not the hat thing. I mean the hat thing happens, of course. But they try to do this one gag where he bows yeah. and his sword hits the chair behind him. Yes. And they just muff it. It's like too short. Yeah. Too short at Greeks. It's it's like the sound effect gets stopped too fast. It's just weird. It's like, oh, you tried to do a joke. It's the idea of a joke, just like this is the idea of a movie. Yeah, it's a gesture towards um, a joke. I mean, you, and you know and you know, what's really funny to me, too, is that um, they repurposed Osric's mustache to be Poirot. Murder on the Orient Express made so much fucking money. It sure no did. No one liked it. No one No did. one watched it, but yet everyone watched it because it had Johnny Depp, and you get, like, all of Europe into the theater if Johnny Depp is in your movie. So uh, they fucking duel... Now, yep. um, and this is Kenneth Branagh just really wanted to be Errol Flynn, I guess. <laughs> we have the whole setup where, because because um, Claudius has this thing where he's like, he's going to poison the sword, but he's also going to poison Hamlet's drink using the ceremonial pearl To make like thing. a foolproof plan to like yeah. just get this kid dead. Which just means that more people die, and he should have thought of that. But yeah. there, that moment where he offers the drink, he you know, he makes this big ceremony of it. And he's like, take a drink. And Hamlet's like, eh, maybe next round. Is very funny. Yeah, because they just kind of stand there for a second. The servants like are like, "What, what am I supposed to do?" And yeah. Jacoby just kind of puts it back down and sits. Yep. Uh, it, it, they, they did it. They did a good bit. They did a good bit. They they do exist hey. in this movie. And so uh, there's like three. <laughs> this fencing match that happens basically has three phases to it, and I guess one of the rules of it is you have to get more and more nude. As it goes along, they start out in full fencing gear, then they take off their hats. Um, yeah, well, he gets sweaty. They have nipples, by the yeah. way. The, the the armor, the fencing armor has nipples. They were actually the base for the Batman and Robin films. Uh, <laughs> I that think, they just I think that back. just aesthetically, we were all moving towards nipples. Yeah. And people just associated it with Joel Schumacher because they were homophobes and didn't like that Batman movie, and they're like, "Oh, we can't put nipples on anything well, anymore." Well, Brian, like, the moral arc of the universe society, we're tilts like, towards We're nipples. moving towards nipples, yeah. yeah. Um, and and we still haven't recovered, unfortunately. It gets progressively worse as Hamlet just absolutely like fucking owns it just Laertes. Gets bizarre. They throw swords across the room because in the play. Hamlet gets Laertes' sword from him after he's already been stabbed. Somewhere in the fight, yes, they decide to bring this up to... They, they already turn it into feeling like it's life or death, even though Hamlet's not supposed to know that yet. Whatever. Yeah, it's also I mean, here's the other thing, is that it's a bad sword fight. And Gertrude dies off screen. Uh, Gertrude died on the return to her home planet. And Robin Williams is like, the queen! And we sort of see her off in the distance and, and we don't go back to that. Yeah. You do um, get a wonderful moment when she drinks uh, the poison yeah. instead of Hamlet where Derry... Jacoby screams. Yeah, Jacoby goes, yeah. Gertrude! And you see mm-hmm. his whole life falling before him and she's just like, what? And she drinks it. Whereas yep. in the Hamlet 2000, she made the purposeful choice of she knows she, it's poison yeah, she and she's going to do it, decision. which is incredible. Both are good. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, she dies on the way back to her home planet. Uh, meanwhile, Fortinbras has arrived at the gates of Elsinore. Yeah, we have a, th- a hundred thousand soldiers marching on the castle, and no one inside is aware of nope, it. Nope, nope. Uh, um, Robin Williams leaves the room, he gets stabbed. One of, uh, one of the guards gets assassin creeded, like his neck just yeah. like gets snapped, like he's been snuck up on somehow. Um, <laughs> like Altair just like lunged off the top of the gate and stabbed him yeah. in the throat. So the invasion is happening. Finally, we have extras. We have a lot of extras and it's yeah, it's Dr. Zhivago. Um <laughs> It's every extra known to man. Hamlet's gotten, you know, Laertes' sword. He cuts him, which is going to kill him anyway, but instead they decide to go a step further and they throw Laertes off a balcony. Yeah, well actually that here's the thing about that that actually works for me is that it explains why Laertes dies first even though Hamlet was stabbed first yeah sure I so guess, i i bought it but like no yeah that they it could just get a worse cut i don't fucking like whatever yeah but it's it's um, also just like he's so far away and he's whispering all these lines to hamlet and hamlet's not going <laughs> what up, up top. yep uh gertrude died because she drank the wine hamlet's dying and then he <laughs> throws <laughs> his sword oh it's <laughs> so good i across the entire castle i wanted more of this i wanted more of this the fucking go- slapstick i wanted insanity less of this violence no this is so bad it's so this unjustified so, in the text because again it's the it's the idea of a movie yeah. this is what happens at the climax of a movie therefore it's going to happen at the climax of this specifically movie. like a 90s action movie like this feels right, like right right a- it's very much like the count of monte cristo you know or also what's the, what's the, the one where john period, Travolta gets it's, like Blasted with a nuclear warhead, <laughs> broken, broken arrow, broken arrow, yeah. Uh, you know, or just like a lot of these period movies, the Scarlet Pimpernel, things like that, that were that were getting released and having these big sword fights in yeah. them. Yeah. So first, and Hamlet um, impales Claudius with a sword by throwing it like a javelin into the. Yeah, he pins him to his throne, yes. and then he <laughs> drops a chandelier on him. <laughs> like he's a cartoon it's, cat. I mean, at least it's finally like the movie is actually like we've known it was dumb the whole time, but now it's actually like being dumb. that, which is, I guess, yeah, why I responded I, I so guess, well to yeah, it. Um, yeah, I see. I see your point. And so then um, Hamlet like runs down to him and starts spoon feeding the poison into Claudius's mouth, yeah. which is in the original play. It's an overkill yeah, death. Yeah, fine. Like he gets his, yeah. his do comeuppance. And then Hamlet takes nine hours to die. Because again, we have to have... All of the text. I was worried. I was like, I don't actually know the full text. Does he talk after the rest of silence? I kept waiting. Yeah, if he's gonna I kept come waiting back. for another gasp for him to come up and s- start saying more shit to Horatio. It's fucking awful. Yeah. Um, uh you watch I've never been happier to see a protagonist in a film die. Uh and he he dies on his side like the Buddha. Yeah, mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. and then is later raised above, his corpse hoisted up like the Christ. With his eyes wide open. Staring dead down the barrel of the camera. Weird dead guy faces throughout this whole movie. So Rufus Um, Sewell bursts into the main hallway with his entire forces bursting in through the windows. Glass shatters. Seethes. Seethes his entire way to the throne. They fly in through the windows like a SWAT team, like uh, Christmas Vacation. Yep, yep. Shatter all the windows and gingerly open and walk through the doors. The mirrored doors, mm-hmm. which should also have been shattering. <laughs> yes. Agreed. They should have been leaping through them, especially now that we saw that you were able to do that from the other side. Right. They should yeah. all be shattering. And even uh, if not, I would have bought it. Anyway. Right. Yeah. Who, like, they already threw away the logic of wherever they are putting things behind those doors. So, Fortinbras Those just, mirrors are so central to whatever they're trying to pull off here. Yeah. Destroy them. Fortinbras takes the throne. Uh, Horatio is explaining what happened. And then, out of a side room, Not from the main entrance, just like from a room. No, he's been walking through this whole crowd uh, unmolested, I guess. Richard Attenborough just (laughs) emerges from his long nap uh we've never seen him before in this thing he's the english ambassador yep. who comes yep. to tell fort and that rosencrantz and golden are dead shakespeare just has to wrap up everything because he's just like oh fuck i like everyone's dying off st- off stage so like we have to we have to say it and it is we very funny have, it is very funny to yeah. me that horatio is like oh claudius didn't want that anyway so <laughs> cool, yeah. i guess uh, but, like, Ford Russ comes off just as very evil, which is a weird way to play him. Yeah, but, um, well, I mean, Rufus Sewell has resting evil face. I think face. That's just his face. Yeah, yeah he's, just, he's just a seether. Yeah. And so it's like everything that he says to Horatio, it seems like, and then I'm going to stab you in the back the moment you turn. But he's not going to because he's supposed to be a respectable leader. Right. So so they carry off Hamlet to uh, be burned in a Viking funeral. Yeah, and then they tear down the Hamlet statue. They bring down Saddam Hamlet, (laughs) and (laughs) Elsinore is finally liberated. Uh, Mission accomplished. This movie sucks. What a waste. What a waste of everyone's time. I mean, it was designed... It, it, it lost money lost a lot of money it was not a super high budget movie and this was two flops um, in a row because right before this Brana had adapted was Frankenstein was Frankenstein well but between this was his his comedy about people putting on a production of Hamlet oh I see but yes. uh, but that was his self-funded very small that thing. was not his big big feature this this movie uh, this Hamlet the two tape set was in every high school across the nation. What do we learn by looking at this? It does not deliver... Like, you could do the Olivier movie. You could do... Like, that one feels less hoary and dated. At this point, yeah. because it's old, you could do the 2000 Hamlet, because it's not going to be ridiculed for trying to be hip or something. And it, well, it I also think it will... It teaches kids about period pieces in a very unique and interesting way that, you know, you can and what adaptation means and, you know, what choices work for you or what don't. Because, you know, like Hamlet 2000 or not, like you can at least there's a lot of meat there to talk about and why they made the choices that they made. I, I think the most important thing, though, if you're showing this to kids, shouldn't be teaching about adaptation or teaching about period pieces. It should be teaching this play. Sure. Like because they're they're not going to good they're not going to get a good sense of it by reading it. Yeah. They never no. are. And you so you want to show them something that actually does the trick. Yeah. Which is hard. And, and this movie certainly doesn't do it. I don't think Hamlet 2000 does it. We we, we no. disagree a little bit on yeah. that. But um because uh, I think I think Hamlet, gets I think I think emotion, Hamlet 2000, yeah. yeah, I think Hamlet 2000 comes by it honestly, which this movie doesn't. Yeah. This movie just is so well, no kid is gonna want to sit through this. Is the other schematic. thing too? It's yeah. just it's so dogmatic. It is a it is a film for Shakespeare nerds. Like it, it was like Hamlet. It was like yeah. Kenneth Branagh made a Hamlet Limey's. for specifically for people playing Hamlet. like as if you needed somebody to just run lines with you you have it i I would say i would say if anything if someone needs like one i just don't think that hamlet lends itself to film very well no shakespeare in general but like it's just you know the style of the sort of thing but you can make macbeth work more easily than you can make hamlet work absolutely right you can make othello work actually quite Easily. Yeah, I think so. But Hamlet itself just has a lot of weird things. Yeah. That are not weird on stage, but are incredibly bizarre on film. There is a movie that just came out called The Northman, which is is an adaptation of the original story that Hamlet is based on. What I would say is if anyone actually wants to see Shakespeare, Hamlet, in a movie version that is decent, that is good, they should check out Hamlet in the Golden Veil. Oh, I don't know this one. V-A-L-E. No, you wouldn't. It, apparently it's on Tubi. Uh, oh, a couple great. of people I know worked on this movie. And I'm not gassing it up because they did. I just wouldn't mention it if I didn't this like it. This is a recent film? Uh, yeah, 2018. Holy shit. They they literally, they got a fucking castle on Airbnb and just filmed there. I don't even know if they properly licensed <laughs> Like got the right Amazing. forms for that shit. They were just like, we have enough money, we can rent this castle. Unreal. <laughs> we're Amazing. just gonna make a movie while we're there. It's two hours long. I mean, that that should that's how it should Which be. Already, like, it shows that they're 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 discerning in what they're doing here. And yeah, apparently it's on Tubi. You should watch that if you if you are ever like, yeah, I read Hamlet. I don't fucking know what's going on. Or you saw this fucking movie and you still don't know what's fucking going on. <laughs> Um, Which is fair. Hamlet and the Golden Veil is actually really, really good. That Uh, rules. And also, uh, (laughs) Hamlet uh, Goes Business you mentioned last time, but just you know, which is an adaptation with modern text in Finnish. Uh, It's a comedy. It's it's an amazing movie. The death of Laertes is the funniest thing. I still haven't watched it. I feel like I might have to after recording this. I'm sorry, you have to. No, I'm going to. I'm going to. A lot of what we deal with here is stuff that we grew up with. And this is one of the things that has just stuck in my ass for so long because it took me (laughs) such a long time to find that these plays are actually good because they drag this shit out where this movie is just there to celebrate shakespeare rather than to tell the story of the play itself yes and the more you get that the more resistant you are to ever finding anything good in any of that material yeah and so it's worth it to see something that actually engages with it honestly and it shows you that, like, oh, yeah, this is actually a really good play. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's also, it's interesting that we're covering, that we cover this, that we cover this on our podcast, because I feel like when we watch a lot of Christian entertainment, it mm. actually has almost the exact same problems that this movie does. It does. It totally does. It treats its basic text as sacrosanct. You cannot question it. Mm-hmm. It is perfect as is. There is... uh Nothing suspect about putting Gerard Depardieu in a room for nine minutes and having him do absolutely nothing. Like it's perfect. It Shakespeare Kurt wouldn't have written Stevens it differently. Meets Hamlet in the Imagination Station. Yeah, Shakespeare. <laughs> Shakespeare is God to Hamlet and yeah. to, to Kenneth Branagh in this case, and it makes the movie inert and dull and completely inaccessible because you're watching what is sort of the equivalent of like. Imagine if you were going to watch pornography. And instead, they just showed you, okay, two, I'll imagine that. Two, two like diagrams of people, and they were describing, and now I am going to touch your breast. I am touching your <laughs> breast. It's like it's that equivalent for Shakespeare. Now, yeah, Kenneth Brana actually has a very interesting connection to Hamlet. In that, he's played him obviously before a lot. but he also inherited a sacred relic of the Shakespearean religion. And, Brian, do you know about the Red Book? I don't know about the Red Book. There was a red bound, red leather bound copy of the complete works of William Shakespeare. Legend goes that it was used in the early 1900s uh, by an actor playing Hamlet and was passed on successfully until it ended up in Branagh's hands in the 90s. Literally a hundred years of Hamlet, passing it to Hamlet, passing it to Hamlet. And the idea was that that Hamlet would then pass it and anoint the next Hamlet. So, mm-hmm. Derek Jacobi had a copy, had the copy, this red this red leather bound copy, and he bequeathed it to Kenneth Branagh, saying, "You are the next Hamlet. Out of all of these Hamlets, you are the next one." Branagh held on to it for a very long time. Uh, this was shot in '96. He didn't give it away until about 2018 where he finally bequeathed the book to his, who what he considered to be the next Hamlet. So, this is passed up a lot of people, right? Andrew Scott didn't get it. Benedict Cumberbatch didn't get it. All these, like, big-name stars, I guess the entire cast of Sherlock has played Hamlet at this point. <laughs> um, <laughs> David Tennant didn't get it, right? All yeah. these great uh, British actors were passed over, because Brana didn't see his successor, right? What he considered to be the next Hamlet. Until oh my god who's this gonna be here's the thing i don't think it's a i don't think it's a terrible choice i actually don't think it's a terrible choice he gave it to tom hiddleston that is his next hamlet okay and and he played hamlet already he's done so now hiddleston will then pass it on to the next and i only hope that the next recipient of that red book takes more chances cuts more text and shows us the true beating heart of this wonderful play and doesn't card it out as the husk that this 4 hour overbloated, boring boring-as-fuck movie gave us. I'm the worst of all possible, AJs. And I'm the worst of all possible, Bryans. And in the meantime, check out Hamlet and the Golden Veil. Surve- Hey folks, thanks for listening. Next week we're all gonna be back, I hope, and talking about something that we like, or that I like. And there won't be any Andrew Lloyd Webber references, I guarantee you. I would like to extend our thanks to our newest crop, and it is quite a crop of new patrons this last week. Linnea Birnegrin, Special Agent Dale Coupo, Colette Shade, Luke Plowman, Alex Bench, Not Animal, Joseph Wright Slagers, Orbital Road, Mr. Philip M. Knutson, Duncan, Shady Shopkeep, and Michael Paw. And of course, if you're listening on the public feed and you want to hear your name here at the end, consider going on over to patreon.com slash worst of all and slipping some money our way. And if you join the $10 tier, you get to be one of our ride or dies, and I will say your name in this voice. Just like Tony Diddy, Timmy Sexton, Hannah White, Rosie Armstrong, Nikola Donov, Katie Wall, John John Johnson, Pen Badgerly, Dara Swisher, Alexa Valentine, Ashley Stoneman, and Silverbear 909. Oh, that this 22 solid flesh would let you tune in next week. See ya. Sorry. I can't help it.